welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. Uh, hope you listened to the little show I, Matt Liston, decided to record it on my own on Friday, talking about everything that has happened in the NHL with the Blackhawks and the Panthers. And it wasn't particularly great. Podcasting yourself is not a very fun experience. I don't enjoy it. And that's why I'm happy to say my good friend and co-host is back. Tommy, you had a great vacation. And would you like to tell everyone where you were? No, I like to remain off the charts. You like to remain off the grid. That's fair enough. Yeah. That's, that, that's fine. We, we, we don't have to divulge those things. But just say you had a good vacation. I'm wanted in multiple states right now. I'm not surprised by that as much as I want to, uh, you know, not be surprised by that. It wouldn't surprise me if it was true. Um, but you had a good vacation. That's all I can Yes, about. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You had a good vacation with your lovely wife. So many great things to, to talk about with that. But... Oh boy, where do we start? Where, where, where do you want to start? There's, there is a, a lot to get to here. And I think. Well, I, I mean, I, I think what I, where I would like to start with is now that it seems that we're in the final innings of this, based on the way the NHL has completely managed this narrative and, and controlled it. Um, I'm disappointed that again, the people, a lot of the people who really needed to, to go in order to effectuate long-term actual change that helps the future generation, it have largely avoided any sort of criticism. I mean, they've, you know, I'm talking about uh, fair in the NHLPA warts the owner of the blackhawks batman um i'll even i'll throw in shovel day off because i think he was a lucky beneficiary of the narrative forming um and, and got off scot-free a lot of people at usa hockey um need to go uh because of this and a lot of other people in the larger community hockey community university of notre dame uh the sharks probably i mean a lot of people that's my biggest takeaway is I don't really trust the NHL to do this stuff anymore other than at a very superficial way that shields them from liability, protects their brand, and um, allows them to just kind of quell the initial PR blast because, uh, you know, every everything's kind of go- gone through the lens of PR now instead of what actually is going to matter. And, and I think that's a framing that the nhl definitely succeeds and and uh prefers so i'll go over a couple things that i i think are important to mention here the first of which is and we're going to get to all of it is large regard i agree with you but i do think this situation is a tiny bit different because there are still i believe more shoes to drop i do personally think that and i hope so too but I mean, there's a lot of evidential data points out there that have ha- that we, you know, that are kind of unfolding that go against that. I don't. I, I would like to see that, but I mean, when Bettman is freezing out Rick Westhead, Westhead, and like no, like it takes a while for people to say anything, and then you know, it kind of just gets quelled over and stuff, and like you know, he's not in the NHLPA. Or writers uh, Association PWA 
P. I'm not great with acronyms or pronunciations or a lot of things like that, but yes. And you know, you got you got Frank Saravalli now. PHWA. The PHWPA is the women's professionals uh, the union. I, I got that right. mixed up. Even I'm bad at this. Yeah, time, my too. favorite professional league uh, is the is the Oh one. boy. Congratulations um, to the Professional Hockey Federation for that. Yeah. Um and uh so yeah, so you know what we were saying. Oh yeah. So you got Frank Saravalli now making statement that's kind of covering their asses and stuff, but like again, just let Rick into the, the, the association, like just give him like an honorary thing for, you know, that he he's in for this. He's, he's broken a lot. He's done a lot of large, great, um, you know, stories that involve hockey and humanity. And, and I don't understand why he can't be involved in this association that he showed, he probably has the most journalistic integrity of the bunch. And maybe that's why they don't want him in. Um, And, you know, it's just it's all disheartening and i was you know and i'm happy quinville's gone i think in the aftermath um you have Ulf samuelson who i would thought was going to be the head coach but you know it kind of makes sense that burnett was named it because it's easier to replace the guy at the offensive door than the guy at the defensive door especially when this is one of the only defensive coaches that has been able to take pairings that shouldn't work like a Montour Nudavara and devise a way to take their weakness, turn it into a way to transition into their strengths, which is it opened them up to retrieve pucks better and skate pucks up the ice better, which is what they love to do. Um, you know, he's got to stay at that back uh, running the defense because I, I don't know if they, they could really handle it without that dedicated attention yet um i would like to believe so but whatever going you know i'm happy that happened but one of the things i noticed was everything about the narrative and everything came about whether quinville should coach or not in in one game against the bruins on wednesday and because of that it kind of gave the impression of once quinville was decided it was over. And, and I, I think that that's kind of what a lot of has happened. Like it gave that satisfaction. A lot of people had of, okay, this was kind of ha- handled enough and we've gotten enough of people out the door of what we needed. And yeah, we can, you know, Batman will take enough booze and jeers, but he's used to doing so. And same with fair and, 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 and warts and stuff. These guys aren't in these positions because they're not used to it uh, and they can't handle it. Uh, they need they needed way more public pressure, and I and I feel like one of the ways they channeled that was the limbo with Quinville and, and keeping that as the forefront because it was just one name, one guy, and it wasn't you know the accountability of the culture that a, a lot of these names I'm mentioning are the top names that have allowed it to that culture to continue and are still in power to allow it to continue again. So as we've seen with, you know, the investigation into uh, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, sexual assault case uh, that names the wild general manager, Bill Guerin, Mario Lemieux, one of, if not the best hockey player of all time uh, as an owner. Uh, And, you know, these guys 
we need to start hearing answers from this and it, it's not any none of this is anywhere close to being satisfactory complete to me but um you know it feels like the nhl is poised to and the chicago blackhawks are poised to fight this through a pr framing and and you know quell the crowd that way so when they go into courtrooms and stuff and when they go into arbitration meetings they can lay the hammer down and, and you know get out of this alive you know business intact as they probably say behind closed doors let me say just a couple points the first of which is is on quenville and i said it friday i said it on twitter i may have deleted those tweets but i i said it and i talked to you about it that quenville needed to go and he went now it was not satisfactory how it happened uh apparently according to elliot friedman uh and we were talking about this wednesday there was a legal reason why quenville couldn't have been suspended without pay or with pay, whatever, yeah. on Wednesday. I have no idea what the legal reason is. I would like my, to know what that legal reason well, is. Well, my – here's the legal reason is if – all right, let's just – people don't like – okay, let's put yourself in Quinville. Now, this is a Quinville who has – is being charged with putting hockey wins and his career profitability and legacy or future legacy over um, doing the right thing. Now we want him to not fight for his job when his team is finally good after putting all that sweat equity in. You want him to just walk away when he has another chance to take, you know, he has a chance to become the greatest coach in history, overtake Scotty Bowman, which <laughs> his legacy is kind of tarnished by his son Stan now, isn't it? Uh, that's funny. Um, two of the greatest coaches. Two of the. Two of the greatest coaches in history of the NHL are now tarnished just with this one incident, which is pretty much a summation of how insidious, incestuous, and um, cyclical hockey culture is. Um, You're correct. It's Shearer is better watch out. <laughs> oh no! Or Fred Shearer. <laughs> I don't know anything. That's, that's uh, just a, that's just a dynastic. It's, it's joke. a jo um, it's a joke. Uh, but I yeah. want to say, uh, whatever the legal reason was. Again, it's it's because some... Quinville is an angry, competitive person, and he was going to fight it. So why, why, if if Quinville's saying, if Quinville and his lawyer are in there saying, there's no evidence, you know, you have to, there's a guaranteed contract we have with our, you know, with Quinville, and you have to do this, or we're going to fight it. We're going to fight it for months after this. Blah blah blah. Is it better to let Quinville coach one game, try to, and then what they did was. And I can only presume this is presume this is what happened, but from the way it's being narrowized in in the media is Caldwell and Zito were there, but not necessarily on Quinville's side of the table in that meeting with Bettman. So you know, I think from a F Florida perspective, they did what they needed to do. Yes, we all might not have, or you might not have, or general people might not have liked that the one game that Quinville coached and everything and Bettman didn't do an articulate job of saying, well, you already coached 800 and something games or whatever. But if it came to, if, if Florida and Bettman were just like, all right, we have to get Quinville in a room and talk to him and give him an ultimatum and, and get him out of this. So he doesn't fight this legally. Like he's prepared to, I understand that. And I can, I mean, knowing Quinville, I think that's exactly what happened. It, it doesn't, it rings true to me 
that Quinville, who in the report would just act brashly of being told like he has to do something, he has to change the way he operates his coaches um, because of an incident who, and he was just like brushed it off and, and just ignored it and was like, whatever, we'll put, we'll deal with it later is going to get that same cat in a corner defensive, you know, overreactive, aggressive when, you know, he has to answer for that. So um, to me, you know, it was, it's, it's one game of bad optics and PR, but eventually in the Quinville situation, it got the best result, which is he's not coaching right now. He is, he lost something. He lost the opportunity to coach a good hockey team. That is, you know, if you wanted your pound of flesh, Quinville definitely probably feels like he got a pound taken out. Um, And, you know, that's the ultimate challenge and you know Bettman talked about the framing of he wanted to make sure that the people who are on the other side of the table of us who maybe don't have the same opinion of what should have happened with Quinville and everything at least feel that the league and everything gave him a fair and open chance to defend himself I understand that there's you know the the comparison to well players who are waiting suspensions you know don't play games and everything, but that's because when they meet with somebody, there's automatically a suspension going to be carried out. It just hasn't been decided how many games. What Bettman was saying was he didn't decide whether there was a suspension or a penalty at all to happen or not. And that's why he could still coach one game. Um, You know, but again, all that focus doesn't takes away from the fact that the NHL scheduled shovel day offs a week after Quinville's would have been, or, you know, a week after it should have been scheduled, but it was much, much later. And that, you know, there was so many other things going on around that, that I think were worse and than Quinville coaching a game and allowed a result that didn't involve a person getting the, what I think was the proper punishment, which is like Cheryl day off, fair Batman and stuff who I think need to step down need to be removed um, because it's on a business human and hockey front I personally would have trouble trusting any of them so I want to go back to your Quenville point for a second and while I do think you are absolutely right that that is a very possible framing for how this went down Again, I think one of the points that people are making coming out of not just the Bettman press conference, but the last week or so is that the NHL sometimes, actually not sometimes, all the time, thinks far too much in a legal lawyerly context and framing, taking out the human side of it, taking out the optics side of it, which is definitely how that Monday press conference is framed. I'm not surprised that that's how they do this because this is the NHL and this is how they've operated for years, but... When you think about how they're doing it based on legal, by the book, reasoning, whatever it may be, it to me at some times, even though I know the NHL is going to do this, it rings really hollow because the optics of Quenville still look terrible. And a lot of people failed in that situation, even if the correct result in the end happened and Joel Quenville needed to go and he did. And all you need, you don't need me to tell you that. I mentioned it on, um, on the Friday show. 
just read what Colby Guy wrote at Florida Hockey Now. He's covering the Panthers, and he's been sexually assaulted, and he has to cover that Wednesday game. I don't know how he did it. But it's the, incredible. The, the, and but, I understand that. And, 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 and you also, know, one other I, I sympathize. I sympathize. But the answer is not to, to fix that issue. And, and the issue is you know, that they should have had, they should have had the Quinville interview done before that Wednesday game. You they are absolutely be, correct. And the issue isn't to take it out of a legal context, take it out of legal framing. It's to be more efficient and to be more transparent and to be more actual, you know, uh, I guess Decisive. legal about it. Decisive. Because, cause le- you know, it, 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 there's a little bit of, you know, swiftness to to that that needed to happen because the nhl you know allowed that report to be released knowing they were going to need to talk to other people to fit to finalize their you know the whole takeaway from it so that should have been done that those follow-ups should have been done by the firm with bettman present and stuff you know before they released the report that's how it should have been done because then then florida can make their decision right away you know then you know then then all the facts are on the table and and people and because once you start getting people to have those summary judgments and, and those pre and 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 wanting action and everything and and demanding it uh you know i think you can't really win no matter what you do you have to kind of be ready to take action when you come forth with all of that. And that doesn't mean, you know, cover it up and hide it for 10 years and then, you know, do what they did now. It means, you know, be prepared to to answer the tough questions and to make those tough decisions and to have all the information to do so when you're being called upon by your you know the owners, the owners that they represent, the teams and their employees, the fans, their customer base. You know they all deserve that, and no one got it. You are correct in that this all should have happened much faster. Like on Tuesday, right. like I don't care that there's a game Wednesday. Gary Bettman could have interviewed Joel Quenville over Zoom on Wednesday morning, and this could have been taken care of, and they didn't do it. And the fact that the shovel day off thing was going to wait till Monday, and then got moved to Friday because everybody started like, wait a minute, what, why are you waiting? Right. And you are, you are 100% correct on that, and that is another thing that I had. Again, I had an issues with a bunch of these things, and you are correct about that. I wanted to mention one other video. I mentioned it on, a, on Friday. Uh, if you haven't watched uh, Brian Metal Panthers on Twitter, uh, his video, he too is mm-hmm. a survivor of sexual assault. If you wanted to watch a video that perfectly explains why Quenville had to go and how uncomfortable he felt, and again, just the immense amount of courage it takes from these people to talk about their experiences when a team that they love, or in some cases covers, is making them relive that trauma, rightly or, you know, however the situation may be coming about. You right. should definitely and, watch those. Those were, those yeah. were incredibly and, and, touching things to read and, and watch, and they deserve immense credit for that, and I need to say that. Right. The, and yeah, there, right. There, are, there are other things I want to say about this situation beyond Quenville that we, that we need to get to, because in the end, you're right. Quenville's out. We're going to get to the hockey context of this later because we do want to talk about that. Now, right, which is for, which is obviously just just for the you no know, another point of clarification secondary, uh, because you know 
You are absolutely right. This matter. What we're talking about yeah. now. It's why we're starting with yeah. it first because it matters far more than anything hockey related, and yeah. we want to focus on this because this is if we're going to do our our small part in making the culture of hockey better, which is something I try to do in my limited space, and I know you support me when I try to do that. And well, you if, try to if, do it if so. we if we try to you know make the one of our reasons we we podcast and everything is because we hope that you know it, it somehow. We offer different um, perspectives than those who normally is, talk about hockey. Well, it's a cathar it's a catharsis to life and everything, so it, it's wrapped up into it. So it, it only makes sense that that takes precedence because yes, that's we, the whole. Yeah. It begets sports. It begets this kind of entertainment. Um, to we begin learn with. a lot about ourselves, and we learn a lot about the society and the structures that we have when we when we see how, in this case, the NHL. Um, completely failed Kyle Beach and absolutely failed Kyle Beach. Yeah. And Blackhawks failed Kyle Beach. And again, a bunch of people failed Kyle Beach. And I want to go into a couple of other points about this uh, as we as we go on. The Bettman press conference is not surprising. There really isn't anything that I could say that would, you know, most of the opinions you've heard about the Bettman press conferences are correct. Although the idea that people are surprised that Gary Bettman was lawyerly in that and didn't focus as much on the empathy, I, I I don't know why people are surprised by that. Yeah, this just is how just they remember operate. remember the NBA from back when he was a lawyer for the NBA. There's also like just just an element of how these leagues Short deal shorts. with this. But there but that's just how Gary Bettman operates. It's always been how he operates. It's been with every single thing that has happened right. with the league, whether it be with COVID, whether it be with Rule 48, whether it be with lockouts. This is how he operates. This is how the league operates, and it's why I think you can have a lawyer in that position, but there is the difference between having a lawyer but also having somebody who has the ability to show some human empathy in a situation like this and decisiveness. And all sports commissioners are bad to varying degrees. But that's why some people respect Adam Silver because he's able to balance that line far more than Gary Bettman can. And that's just a right. point I, I feel is important to make. Right. But it's, also, it's who are your stakeholders. And Bettman's stakeholders are the owners. And their wish is for him to protect profit and their marketability and their brand and to do their bidding. Adam Sil Silver is a little more, you know, of the fans are so, are more have more of a stake in, in his interests. And he does, you know, cater to them and... and you know, put things through their perspective when he makes decisions. In addition to being a shield for thirty owners, yeah. Like, I that, mean, that, let's like... let's be let's be honest. I mean, there is, you know, there has been a public de decrease interest in outdoor games, and they've been increasing the number of outdoor games because for a while the model showed it was profitable, and you know that's just kind of how the NHL operates. It's different. So in terms of other elements from that Batman press conference, as you mentioned the Rick Westhead thing, like, yeah, that's just I, like how, and, and the thing is, he should I have been probably, hosting. He should have, the, he should have been the first person who's asked questions. And right? I, I happen to, I've gotten to, I don't know him personally, but I know people who know him pretty well. And you should listen to what he said, by the way, on the Steve Dangle podcast, they did a great interview with him last Friday. Um, the fact that he's willing to do the difficult reporting is a testament to him and a testament to the people who empower him to do that. And I mean, great credit to him for willing to do it and great credit to him for continuing to do it. You know, and listen, 
the league might not like him because they report on stories that make the league look bad. But at this point, the again, this is where it comes into, there needs to be at least some consideration of optics here. The fact that it took Pierre Lebrun begging them to have Rick West had asked questions is, is a really bad look. You can't have that. You and, and cannot that, have that. And, and that's the problem. I mean, like, it's... It, it, we need somebody who's going to be in charge of the NHL that is for the betterment of the sport. And, you know, what that means to us and most people is, you know, not just defending NHL and their executives, not at all costs. You know, like, it, it's... It's just... It's just I I, I don't feel... understand. It, it's very difficult to kind of articulate, but it. it what you what I you don't... want is it, right now the leadership of the NHL, particularly with this situation, because of how all encompassing it is and how really gross it is, even compared to a bunch of other sins of the NHL, and the list is numerous. The, the NHL's response to this, while it is not unexpected, feels particularly out of touch. In a yeah. world where we are now more aware of this, there is a there is a heightened awareness of the issues that come to play in this particular situation, and that I don't know me, where. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but where do you think the leadership needs to come from for the, for the change? I mean, because like there needs, I guess, would there need to be like a Mark Cuban type owner who's willing to put money down to effectuate? the change he wants i mean like because at the end of the day a new commissioner has not happened without the majority of owners on board so i have some thoughts on that and it's a very good point and when people are talking about wanting to remove gary bettman you know we have to talk in that way about well where do we i, I mean i think from, from from an hr standpoint and from a labor standpoint there's multiple reasons to want bettman out there, the you know there are some good reasons that owners would want them to stay, including Vegas and Seattle expansion fees. But if you look at the TV deal that he orchestrated with Comcast over the long term, that was a negative. Um, and uh, you know that you know there's a lot of you know there's been a lot of ownership issues with some of his Sunbelt teams, and that kind of has has hurt. HHR or hockey related revenue HRR again with the acronyms um but we'll get them right one day folks. I I just you know there's a lot stacking up against Gary Bettman and he's been tenured uh, he has to be the years. longest NHL commissioner in history years. given the history 30 years you know so I want to I want to I want to get to your point about who can effectuate change because we can yell and scream all we want about how things are bad but who can effectuate change? Yeah. And besides us, obviously. It, well, besides, yeah. Well, I wrote about it on Why Hockey uh, on the on the Substack, and I suggest you read it. But and and it comes to what I've learned a lot about. Obviously, Sheldon Kennedy, who's spoken very touchingly and poignantly about what he dealt with and how the NHL has failed him personally by not actually listening to him and what his story is, and how he can be failed over and over and over again. And Jeff Merrick brought up this point, our friend, that he goes into the batter's box and gets hit by pitches all the time and stands in there. And I'm not saying that anything like what fans are dealing with is anything like what Sheldon Kennedy deals with. And Sheldon Kennedy is somebody who the league needs to have in the door 
The fact that he wasn't is obscene. He needs to be in the door. There need to be people from different perspectives brought into this league. And that is hugely important. And the fans can affect change in that way. The fans can say, we do not want the same people talking to us about hockey, whether it be not just media, and that's changing ever so slightly, but also in front offices with the NHL itself. And I've talked about this repeatedly. It's not just because I know Brock McGillis has done work with the NHL, but you need people from different backgrounds to be involved in this sport. You need more people of color. You need more women. You need more members of the LGBTQ plus community because those people don't exist in hockey. And the only way to get different perspectives and to create meaningful change is to bring those people into this sport. And they've been excluded from this sport for the longest time. And there are still forces in this sport that are excluding them. And that's not good enough. We need to fight against those forces of exclusion and do our best to bring more people in. Now, it is changing. Some of it is face value, HR. Some of it's pride night superficiality. I don't like it. I want more than that. But we need to push more than that, yes? And I think that fans can definitely play a role in that, in saying we are not going to take this. If you looked at the Chicago Blackhawks attendance on Monday night against Ottawa, it looked like an old-school Panthers game. Like, there was no one there. And that's the fans saying, this is unacceptable. Whether some of those fans are saying the product sucks, or whether some of these fans are saying, I can't put on this jersey because this looks ridiculous. Whatever it is, the fans are making a point in a market like Chicago right now. And that the fans can do that. There are one way that you can embarrass the people who own your team, which is make them lose money. And the Chicago Blackhawks, again, have been an HRR, as you said, revenue-generating dynamo for the last decade. And now they're not anymore. And they might be involved in a very, very litigious settlement with Kyle Beach that could be in the tens of millions of dollars. But we don't. I can't put a price on you know what Kyle Beach went through. None of us should do that. That's only his burden to bear. And that's something for his lawyers to deal with. But the fans can put pressure on in that way and should be holding the stakeholders accountable. Like, it, it might not seem that the Twitter mob is good, and the Twitter mob is usually never good, but there is a kernel of truth in what is being said at times. And I think that NHL fans should want more diversity in every single position, whether it be in the league office, whether it be in team front offices, whether it be in any position where you can get people of different backgrounds into this sport, that is critically important. It can't just be all straight white guys. It just can't be. And that means you're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations with somebody like Sheldon Kennedy. You're going to need to have uncomfortable conversations with people like Brock McGillis and whoever else is out there. You need to do that. And the NHL cannot take victory laps over the superficial things that they've done because that's not going to work. The sport of hockey cannot take superficial victory laps because of these things they've done. And I'm going to bring up Luke Prokop again. And like, that story was awesome. Trust me. I will celebrate it as long as I can. But that's not good enough. You can't just say, we've got one done and that's it. We've changed. We've proven you, you haven't proven anybody wrong. That is, at the point in hockey, that is an isolated incident. If you want this sport to be better then you need to ensure that people feel safe in the sport. And there are stories out there that are still going to be told that are going to show that this sport is not safe for a good chunk of people. And those stories are going to be uncomfortable. There are more to come. And whether it be this Penguin situation, which, again, has to work its way legally through court. You should read what Rick Westhead and Katie Strang's reporting on that is. Whether it be ensuring that 
the people in USA Hockey, it's very important that we mention them too because Brad Aldridge somehow worked for USA Hockey when he shouldn't have. And I've made my views clear on John Van Beesbrook, who's somebody who should probably not be working at USA Hockey anymore. And Bill Guerin should not be involved with USA Hockey until this situation is taken care of. That is 100% the case. But we have to have the diversity of perspectives. That is true. The NHL owners are also going to fall in line in large regard because the most powerful owners in the league are people like Jeremy Jacobs, are people like the Illich family, the long-term owners in the league. I would like the NHL power brokers to have a little bit more of diversity in that, and that means, you know what? I have my issues with Tom Dundon, but if Tom Dundon had his say, I think the NHL would look a little different because of the way he operates the Hurricanes. I wonder what would happen if it's Todd Lightwicky and the people who run the Kraken, whether it's Bill Foley. You know, some of these owners out there, I think, could do a really good job in offering new perspectives for the league and happen to be some of the newer owners. You know, Jeff Vinnick would be great. Like, we don't hear anything from Jeff Vinnick, and that's a good thing, but I wonder what his role is in some of these NHL Board of Governor meetings. Like, like again, I, I don't mean it to say that, you know, some owners are worse than others, and clearly that's the case, but some of the newer owners, some of the other owners in the league, maybe they should have different perspectives, and maybe they should be able to say, hey, this isn't working. Let's try something a little different. And hopefully some of those owners now have this way to do it because, I mean, an NHL where, you know, Todd Lewicki and the people who run the Kraken have more of a voice, it's going to look different than an NHL where Jeremy Jacobs is the most powerful voice in the room. And that's just a fact. And I hope that that's something perhaps that we see. And I think that that's yeah. one area where we my, can have him change. My, my final thought is, is, you know, for social media's positives, I think it's important to remember that the negatives of especially when a lot of conversations start and stay online, um, you know, the Twitter mob and everything, it feels sometimes like it accomplishes things, but sometimes all it does is playing into the narrative. Um, like I think it did with the Quinville stuff and what matters is the change in the real world because the the abuse we're talking about isn't just like Twitter, like social online bullying, like this, like it's real real world abuse and stuff. So that means like the change in the conversations and the things that you do, if you care about it, have to be in the real world too. Yes. Um, and Twitter you know, is not I, I can't yeah, say so that we'll, Twitter we'll, is not reality. We'll go. Yeah. And, 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 a, and, and that means it's a harsh that lesson means for a lot of Democrats. Uh, true. Right well, now. Twitter is not the real world. And well, um, that's the harsh lesson for everybody online. Is yeah. Twitter is not the real world. But let, I want to make the, this point too, when we start to wrap this up, because we could talk about this for five hours, but yeah. I want to, I want to make the point too, that I think Kevin Shevelday off getting off without punishment because he was a lower level member of that meeting and he was apparently the only person who put him in that meeting and somebody brought up that i think it was jeff and Frege that if he was cooperative with the investigation he's not likely to get as much punishment and again it's probably not how that should operate and kevin Sheveldayoff getting no punishment even though he was part of that brain trust to me again doesn't feel right his comments yesterday I don't think the comments are good enough because, again, words are nothing to me. Action is what matters. And I fully believe that you need neutral third parties 
as well in this league, people with no stake who can come in and say, this is what you need to do and be able to win over those people in positions in Chicago or in the league office saying, you, the NHL cannot be charged with doing this because the NHL can't do it on its own. And that's why I'm saying these third parties could help and why I'm saying, why don't you bring in Sheldon Kennedy? He's part of the hockey family, even though hockey has constantly let him down. He can help. He can go into those rooms and talk because people know he plays hockey. And I'm not doing this just because Brock is my friend, but Brock can do this too. Like there are places he's been led into. And there's a piece out on um, the hockey news right now about what happened when he went to talk with the St. John Sea Dogs and what he does when he gets a chance. If you let him in the room, you're going to think about things differently than you did before you let him in the room. And I know the NHL's done it. The NHL needs to do more with people like him. You know, there needs to be more from people like that. There needs to be more from third parties who can come in and do these things that the NHL is not capable of doing itself because they don't have the real-world experience to set up structures to prevent abuse. They can't do that, so they need to let other people in to do that. And it's going to take someone in the league, someone somewhere, whether it be under the pressure of the center of the earth or whether it be on their own volition to do this. And it's got to happen because those, those perspectives that come outside the league circles are so critical. And they can work to make this sport better. They can. This sport can get better. I also believe that it's going to be a hard process. It might not be linear, but there are things in this sport that can get better. And it's going to require not just us to pressure it, but people in the league, somebody to take that leap of faith. I hope somebody in the league is out there. Maybe it'll end up being Rocky Wirtz because he has nothing else he can do at this point and has to rebuild faith in the marketplace, and he's doing it for his bottom line. At this point, I'm not going to say that I want progress because of cynical reasons, but if we get progress in going in the right direction and it starts out of a very cynical genesis, we'll have to see where that goes from here. I hope that that is something the Blackhawks consider. I hope that's something the league considers. And on Donald Fear, clearly there are the, the players are mad with PA, and they should be. They absolutely have every right to be. Like, the players can also force change, too. And it seems very much like once this independent investigation of what the PA did in the situation with, um, with Kyle Beach and Brad Aldrich, uh, that, too, could end up being changed. But also, I think that it is still hockey. We still have a bunch of boring people playing hockey, and they've been told to be boring because the hockey establishment told them to be boring. But there are players out there like Robin Leonard who this does not stand for, and we should give them the platform and the pedestal to do that. I mean, I, you heard from Taylor Hall, and I'm not inclined to say very many nice things about the Boston Bruins, but what Taylor Hall said, and he's somebody who's been treated truly badly by hockey culture at times, he's right. I mean, I heard you know what the Bruins said, um, that they all watched the Rick Westhead interview with Kyle Beach together as a team. And, again, there are people in this sport who are going to work to do this. Like, again, Robin Leonard's one. There are others out there who, who can do this. Give them the platform and allow them to do this. Don't silence them. That's another thing that I think could be very, very important in making this sport better is giving the players who are really, truly invested in doing that the ability to do that. And as I say, there are players out there. We should listen to them. We should give them the floor and we should let them be vocal and we should let them have their voice and have their say. 
and I hope that those players are able to do that. And there, there are some out there. And again, maybe, you know, Robin Leonard happens to be one. There are others. I can't think of many others off the top of my head, but like, listen to what Robin Leonard says. Like he genuinely seems concerned about making the sport better. And I want, I, I want to believe he can do something. And he already has in a lot of ways. You know, there are other players out there who can do that, and I hope that is the case. And I hope we've seen some other NHL, some NFL players say, I'm taking off for mental health. You know, my mental health is not right. I hope that they're, you know, Carey Price has done that. There are, there are players out there who are going to be willing to make this happen. So it requires everybody to put this together. And I, I'll, I'll, the last thing before we get to more hockey-related things, you might want to give up on this sport and you have every reason to because the sport will constantly let you down. But if you give up, then this sport's not going to change and this sport's not going to get better because the people in charge want this to go away magically. And the way that it goes away is by people giving up and you can't give up. You have to be loud. You have to be vocal. You have to be willing to go do the dirty work. And that means not just saying I'm going to do something if it's an individual fan, but actually doing it making your presence felt in those ways. And whether that be not buying tickets, not buying gear, something to that effect, pressuring sponsors, you can do that. Whether it be, you know, again, that's what a fan can do, but players can do something like that. There are people in front offices, if they want to, who could do something like that. They're out there, but don't. But you can't give up on the sport because if you give up on the sport, it's not going to change. That's what they want you to do is to give up. So you can't give up and it sucks. It feels like you're going to be fighting a losing battle. You're banging your head against the wall all the time. You have multiple concussions for banging your head against the wall, and the NHL doesn't seem to acknowledge that that's a hockey-related injury. But you have to keep going, because if you don't, then nothing's going to change. And the NHL and hockey as a sport has to get better. There is so much potential in this sport, and there are so many reasons to believe it could do a lot of good, and it can, but we have to be willing to work hard to make that good happen. And I'm sure we can do it. And again, I say that there are people out there like my friend Brock McGill's do it, Sheldon Kennedy, a bunch of other people out there in this league who are able to do that, and I hope that they can. And I hope that we all push together to make this sport better because I'm sure that there can be progress made. And it does feel like we're in an inflection point in the league and that changes could be coming at the PA. It feels like changes could be coming at the commissioner's office. It feels like there are going to be changes coming. It might not be a fast I, process. You might, like. I have no no faith. And you, you're not. You, listen, I think I you think don't have to have faith. To, I, I don't. I don't necessarily hockey. either. But it, and maybe it's me being naive. But this situation feels different because this one isn't. You going you away said that soon. you said that you said that about Quinville not coaching on Wednesday and all this stuff. This feels different. This feels different. It always feels different because it. Every time they keep, every time we learn more and more, it keeps getting worse, and it's just gonna get worse every time they break your heart and go right back to being the uh, business without scruples. So, by the way, um, we do see a couple pieces of news that we are um, recording. One of them is Bradley Aldrich's name has now been X'd out on the Stanley Cup, which should have been done before. Does that, does that mean? I mean, not to start a whole thing, but are they going to go back? And I'm sure there's some other yeah. abusers on there that also, we can uh, we can take oh, off. I, I imagine that there could be more of that coming. Also, Brent <laughs> Sopel, 
who has also been one of the vocal members of the, he, he's talked, he was talking on the record, Paul Vince and other people should be given immense credit for talking on the record about this. Uh, he's now meeting with the league again, saying, I'm just reporting what I see. And there is one other thing I want to mention before we move on to the hockey, and that is the players. We have not yet talked about the apparent homophobic slurs that were thrown at Kyle Beach because people knew about this. And I, I'm going to say this as somebody who is obviously a very out and proud member of the LGBTQ plus community and cares deeply about this issue. Y'all are just noticing that this was a problem now? Come on, guys. This has been a problem in the sport for as long as anybody can tell you, and we've been talking about how bad this is, and now you're going to follow after players or figure out who said it. But what are you going to do to them? Are you going to suspend Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves for saying they may have said 11 years ago? Is that what you're going to do? Like, come on. That's not actually making this better. It's not. it, and it's not just hockey culture. I mean, like, it was okay to be on an NBC or ABC or CBS sitcom and make blah, blah, blah is gay jokes. You know, like that. The culture changed. You know, and we that, need to now work to ensure that hockey does not become this island in a rest of a place where these things yeah. are not accepted. You can find other words for what you want to say without using any homophobic slurs. And what Kyle Beach experienced that is completely unacceptable, obviously. And right, listen, and and that, but that I think that there, there needs to be the some there needs to be some note, and, and I mean because th- there there is a huge difference between you know gay jokes and homophobia in in culture, but then the vicious. Uh, abuse of somebody who they know to be sexually abused getting taunted about that abuse i think is just so i mean it is i i think for a lot of people it's that that shock of that's what the casual stuff can allow to coexist with and makes it harder to root out because you know it just so can so quickly evolve into that and and, you know when you allow when that kind of culture persists in the in a closed group and then an incident happens in that group it's easy to see how it can lead to then another instance of abuse um and it's just it's it's very sad and it's clear that you know if they cross out Eldritch, I don't even want to get his name right, um, off the cup, they should take Taves' leadership awards away. He's, he's one of you. I saw somebody point out, um, there was a tweet uh, that I saw, and I got to go find it. I think it was from, it was yesterday that I saw that. Um, let me was it Anton Roussel? Anton Roussel, you are correct. It was Anton Roussel. And I got to just find the tweet. I want to make sure I get it right. Where is it? Because it was this thing he said on a French radio in um, a Montreal interview, I think it was. And I can't find it, but he said something about Jonathan Taves, which was a remarkable comment. And I just have to go find it. Let's see. Where is it? It is somewhere, 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 somewhere. Jesus, I can't find it. I, I I guess I, I thought I had liked the tweet I did it, but it was something from Antoine Roussel about that, you know, and it was amazing. It was an incredible con- – it was about Jonathan Taves' leadership, and it well, was – Yeah, it I mean, was, I, I think was the, the gist of it was that 
you know, he's, he's basically only a leader on the ice, but he's like a small man off the ice or something like that. Yeah, it was like that. So I, I can just do a quick yeah. research. You, but you're right. Let me see. Yeah. yeah. So and, and and it's true. I mean, just just because a guy has read it, just yeah, because he's a small, but he's a small human being on Quebec radio from Anton. And credit for Anton Roussel for saying it. I mean, it is in French, so it's not like the English speaking yeah. people are going to know. The, the like, further the further a hockey player is from the from the blast site, I guess you could say, um, the more comfortable they feel to speak about it without getting ostracized. And we've seen that with a lot of incidents, but this one has, has been none, none different. And Roussel being, you know, not of that locker room of the time frame and not in that locker room now, um, you know, is, is, is able to say that and stuff, but you know, there, there, I, one thing we've learned is whether hockey players or anything, people are capable of, things that they don't think they are for good or bad. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you got to really take care of what you can take care of to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, so I think that's what kind of what I'm focusing on and stuff is, is what can we do to actually make sure that this stuff doesn't happen or, or, um, you know, where are the, the access points that we can really, make inroads and make a difference. Um, cause I just don't, I just don't want this to become like just another, another social media argument that just devolves into there's two entrenched sides that just become kind of untethered to Reality. the actual top. Yeah. And the actual topic they were talking about. And it just becomes another fabric of the stupid culture war that's going on. One final point that we should be making here is uh, I think Bryce Salvador did an incredible interview on The Athletic, if you could find it, the podcast or the written version, where he was talking about just one of the things he experienced and how he's just like, it just dawned on him, like on youth hockey culture. And it's a really, inf- really informative piece about that. And youth hockey culture is where this all starts. Like, you think it's the NHL, Man. but it, it starts way, that, way younger than that. That's how that's how i mean you don't get to the nhl and unless you go through that youth pipeline i mean or because either you're a player who went through it yourself um and and then get to coaching after your playing career or you had to coach through those ranks as well um you, you know it's and just like all the other um youth sports out there it's persuasive it's per, not persuasive it's but i guess it is it's pervasive and uh you are correct it's 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 scary and um you know you just become a numb numb to a lot of things over the you years you become part of a system you're not aware of you become part of yeah. a system that you feel that you have no control of and you don't realize it until you step back and look at it just how the system because it's part of your life and you're just not able to notice it and the hope is that people will start to notice what is wrong with these cultures and how disgusting it is and in some and youth hockey is a huge part of that and yeah. that's what and again i i mentioned brock a ton this is not about me getting him a per diem but it's what he says is true like this starts at the youth level this starts at the youngest levels and being willing to change and, the culture and being willing to listen to people with different perspectives is a very key thing that we don't see enough of in this sport. 
it's just and and it's it's huge i think to 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 finish this finally finish this is it has to go back to usa hockey again because again it starts at the that's where you can make a chance you you can easily voice your opinion if you already are in the youth hockey um environment or you know if you do beer league and stuff usually you have to have a usa hockey membership and stuff and you have to give them your money every year uh so you should feel entitled to voice your opinion whatever that may be Uh, i always encourage people to be a loud mouth like me yes um and also i think again there are some players who said some things that i've really liked about this situation there's really constant comment that's going around on from wayne simmons uh, th- some players have been really well spoken about this, and I hope that this continues. Right. So and, let's but, move but on. They, we can't expect players to be well. You know, we we have to also be okay with educating and you know just making sure that the intent and the you know the purpose is there with the players, even if they're not the best at articulating it or um, you know they're not the most vocal. As long as you know the intent and you know. The first step in fixing the problem is admitting you have one. And it seems minor. It seems, from my perspective, as somebody who's been a hockey outsider his entire life, is just really a fan and semi-journalist from the outside. is like, you're just noticing this now. But, for again, you're product of a culture you're not aware of. And it's invisible. And it's a machine. Like, it's... I mean, there are... I mean, I think if I ask anyone for my hockey past and stuff do you have stories of abuse do you have you know do you have stories of um you know physical or emotional bullying and you know whether it's based on ethnicity religion gender sexuality or anything like that or just differences um you know of economic uh, you know in hockey is you know i mean if there isn't if 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 there if everybody's kind of this of the same you know demographic on a hockey team it usually just diverts to them who's the poorest even if they're not even really poor (laughs) because hockey's a very expensive sport you know and it's it's that's just that's just how it is so every you know i've experienced it um, and been on teams where there has been drama, there has been, you know, things that kids shouldn't have to deal with, and it's it's sad. So it, I, I've heard stories too, man. I've heard stories too, and, and and there are stories out there that would make your heart break if you knew the full scope of it. And and you really would. The goal, I mean, obviously, the goal in a utopian world is to prevent it all from happening and to prevent more from happening. But at the very least, you should have the expectation that if it does happen, there's not going to be an act of cover-up and sweeping of under the rug and the allowance of it to happen again. I mean, that's just I, – I, I can't get over that sticker point. <laughs> but okay. You're, 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 you're yeah. right. And, again, it should never be – we have to be – yes, you're in it to sports, sports, you're in it to win. Yeah. But this isn't about winning it at, at, with every single cost because when you do that – what happened with the Blackhawks and people who you thought you respected, turns out you can't respect anymore. And we have to be careful with myth making. It is something I've learned from college football, and it happens with college football scandals, 
And I, I mean, the, the point right now is there's a billion scandals right now of all sports at all levels of institutional failures. These are sadly common. But one thing we also have to be very careful of is myth-making. Of people like Joel Quenville, we made myths about him, and the myths turned out to be based on a, on a foundational lies. We have to be careful with some of these things that we do, and how we talk about sports, I think, plays a role in that. So on that note, let's actually talk about the sport itself, because this is the first podcast we've done since our season preview together. We were going to record a podcast last week, and then this Blackhawk stuff came out, and I'm glad we didn't do that. Very glad we didn't do that. Yeah, definitely but, wanted a breakaway. It was just a lot. It was a lot of change. <laughs> there was a lot you to know, talk about that rendered the actual the playing script. of hockey games irrelevant. But in terms of the actual hockey, we'll get to the. We'll touch on a lot of different things around the league. We'll start with the Panthers and and what what is very very Florida Panthers. And I don't mean to make light of what's happening here, but to have a start that they've had and then have it all completely rendered irrelevant because of what happened is so very Florida Panthers. Yeah. I mean, but I don't really, I I think I, to me, I think my takeaway was, you know, I, I, I think the team's doing pretty well through it. And I think it kind of shows that, you know, this team is more than just a myth law, you know, a, a coach that is a legend and, you know, is probably built up more than, than he is and stuff like if this team can win without him, other Stanley Cup champions have won with change with coaching changes in the middle of the year. Frankly, it was two years ago and then two years before that, so we're we're kind of on track here. Um, Funny enough, and, yes. And so I, you know, I'm not too worried about it because I feel like you know we have the leadership that I trust enough to balance the right approach to keep you know the machine on ice well oiled because it was given to them in a well oiled i think uh condition obviously they're going to drop some games but you know they've picked up point in every game they have um gone nine games right and yep, nine game point streak to start the season which is the second 17 17 points i mean i can't how often have we done why hockey when we've done this show when we complained often about how the panthers always screwed up early in the season dug themselves a hole they couldn't get out of and this year they started 8-0-1 right right like, and, and i mean i don't and they they have the points in the bank now so we don't even have like games in hand doesn't even have to come up this year, hopefully. Hopefully we don't even have to worry about it because they just have such a lead in the standings. They had they have, you know, a good amount of time to get practice in with their new coaching staff. I mean, I can't imagine there's I mean, there's the Olympic break. I get you know, could have been a bigger, better time to have a coaching switch, but you know, especially if you can't call a coaching switch, really, they 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 kind of lucked out. They had to just get through a back to back. But you know, I'm happy they didn't get a new coach because what they need is just somebody to. And what we all need is to just have fun with hockey again. And I know it kind of feels wrong to want to to do that, but if you're if you're not going to completely walk away, or if, you know you've Whatever you decide, however you decide to process this information and react and whatever, I think is up to you. 
But, you know, for me, I, I want to have some fun with the Panthers and, and, and focus on, you know, some of the, the positives on the ice. Um, especially cause I feel like the Panthers haven't done anything wrong that, you know, that we know well, of yet. Well, um, I think it, to me, and, it, it's the players like it, right. in the end, you, this is an organization you root for them for whatever reason you root for them, whether you're local, whether it be some connection you've had with the team, but in large regard, you're not rooting for the owner. None of us really are rooting for the owner. Right. Some of us might be rooting for the front office. I like what Bill Zito's doing. I don't think the way he handled the situation with Quenville was great, but you root for the players. And the Florida Panthers players had nothing to do with this situation. Nothing to do with it. You know, only two players on the team were in yeah. the league when this happened. So it is, for me, it, I, I focus on what those players can do. I focus on the fact that there seems to be a really good group of like genuinely thoughtful and respectful human beings in that room that understand the situation, but are also pretty tightly knit as a group. They're all pulling in the same direction. And the fact is like you've watched the way they performed on Friday and Saturday with all that they had gone through. And then some of the injuries that started to pile up, you know, the fact that they played the way that they played against a Red Wings team that's better than we thought. And the Bruins are still very good after, again, being not just physically drained, but emotionally drained, to play the way that they played was as impressive as anything I've seen this team do, even, you know, as they were beaten up on other good teams. Like, that, to me, is is incredibly impressive, and that that is... Yeah, and the fans deserve it. That's Alexander Barkov, who I've been impressed with and the way he's carried himself throughout all of this. You know, it's a group that you want to root for. And it's a group that, you know, it makes you feel good about the sport. Like, you don't go watching the Panthers, and I don't immediately think about the things that make me mad. I watch the Florida Panthers, and I go, I I want this team to win. You're invested in what is there. You're invested in in these players because there's a reason to be invested in these players, right? And that's what it feels like right now and i feel that even more after listening to what they've said you know about the situation yeah and and what i've what i've liked is you know in seeing what they've been doing at practices and stuff like they're just playing small area games they're just being competitive they're getting in you know um you know shooting drills and 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 uh um you know, like little competition drills and stuff like that. And that that's what they need right now. And, and you know, that's going to – some of these players have are just playing out of their minds. And it's just so fun to watch because you have defensemen who can get a puck and transition it up the ice without thinking too much or without, uh, you know, too much of a hassle. And – you know, it's not going to be, you know, O'Brien and I were talking about on our last podcast that it's not going to be too often that the Florida Panthers are going to have a team like this uh, in, the, in the future. And, you know, they hadn't, ha- haven't had a team like this in the past. So if you can just focus on, you know, some of the good things, uh, it's, you know, there is a lot of good. Um, you know, we've learned more about, uh, some of the new players and, you know, Reinhardt starting to pick it up and uh, he's starting to, with some of the injuries at center, I think we'll even see him play a little more center and take some more draws and stuff, which I'm interested in seeing. And I'm not worried about, 
hey, this guy's out of the lineup. Hey, this guy's been out of the lineup for a couple games. Um, you know, I, I think Mammon's got a chance of playing this week. I'm excited for that. Um, you know, there's just so much you can you don't have to think about it like i really would love for like the beat writers in the panthers to be a little more proactive and stuff just and not just be like stenograph for for what the florida puts out and stuff because i'm you know i want i want some more information on you levy you know what's the injury you know what where's the plans when he gets back are they going to try to throw him right in are they going to work him in where does he stand and all this stuff and and, I, you know, this is the year that, like, I would really go out of my way to read that stuff and care about it. But, you know, on the other hand, since since we're clearly not going to get that, you know, it's nice just to roll into a hockey game and I don't have to be checking Twitter, you know, all day for what, what, what the heck the lines are because I need to know whether Barco's going to be carrying Mason Marchman or not. I mean, if Mason Marchman's on the first line, I wouldn't even care anymore because, you know... I, I think what we've seen is a rising tide lifts all ships and Marshman still has his blind spots and his flaws, which I think keep him from being as good as some of the hype is. He also still has a lot of tangible skills that make him a good everyday bottom six NHLer, um, and a guy that, you know, in occasion can jump up because he's a good practice player. And and what I mean by that is he is a hustler. He has good hand eye coordination. He never gives up on, on pucks and stuff. And in practice, he is the guy that a lot of guys probably like to play with, um, and do, and do drills with. Um, and he's a guy who, you know, he's not, if you're Barkov, he doesn't really hold on to the puck too much. He gives the puck to you and stuff like that. And then goes to the net. So, it you know it, I don't want to say he's like a Hyman light or anything like that, but he's just one of those guys where all the teams that do well perennially in the playoffs and stuff have those good bottom six guys that fans like and all the different types of fans like you know the 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 lunch pail blue collar fans that you know want a certain thing of their bottom six and the more guys who you know want a more skilled young youthful bottom six still get something out of it and you know it just the data you know he sells good analytics and stuff so you know the people who rely on that or or really focus on that are happy too and you know you got a bunch of those guys you got lost strain in um who just, i just think flops into the lineup and scores two goals I mean, it, and looks and let's really talk good. about it. if we if we had vincent trojak he would probably be in Lou Ostrand's spot and role. Maybe I, I, he, I wonder what this team be looks like it. if Trocek's still on this team. Like, what does the construction of it look like? Because yeah. I'm not saying that the Panthers not having Vincent Trocek, was, 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 that trade was bad. But the fact is, now that there is a new fully-fledged plan in place, the Panthers probably don't have Sam Reinhardt if they have Trocek. They probably don't make some of the moves they make if they have Trocek still. And I think this team fully actualized is better because it doesn't have that. And, and that's not, again, that is not a slight of Vincent Trocek. He's playing really well with Carolina. Good for him. But I think that this team, the way it actualized because of the new front office and the, the hots they were able to fill are, are different and better for the team because Trocek's not there. I want to point out a couple things that I've liked about this group. I mean, there's a ton of them. Uh, first of all, I know that it's impossible for Barkov to win the heart because we live in a world with Connor McDavid, but Sasha Barkov's playing heart Connor hockey McDavid, right now. Man. 
I know. Uh, can, I, can I just say a tangent about him? I was watching him the other day. Uh, he got an assist. I think it was against the Flyers. He got an assist. He didn't even deserve the assist. And I think they announced it as the primary assist when it was obviously Pools Yarvi with the primary assist. And I was just looking at myself like he picks up assists like Cal Clutterbuck picks up hits at home in Long Island. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's a little bit padded in, in a, I feel like in a sense, and I know that's anecdotal and people are gonna hit me and everything, but I'm still I watch McDavid and everything. Yeah, I would probably pick him in the top ten players in the NHL, maybe even top five. That's about all I can promise you because, you know, I don't think Tortorella was. I think he was angling for a job when, and he still probably is when he says Barkov's the best player in the NHL right now. But I bet you a lot of more NHL coaches would pick Bark over McDavid than you think. Um, and it's kind of like a Datsuk thing. Like, it's it's a whole nother level of player. And I think McDavid could be that player, but he's not because Edmonton doesn't want him to be. doesn't put him in that position. They, they're fine that he and Dreisaitl are basically the same, you know, one-trick ponies that just kind of go out there and score and – don't really get the team better i mean just just by again yeah it's so much fun to watch him i mean i think that there is something to say about all these all these forwards coming in all these defensemen coming and and finding their ability to play and 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 to to go into and to run into the flow of play in a team that's run by barkov i mean it was kind of the same thing with la when kopitar and and boston like P- the teams that have those types of one C's are usually the teams that do become those factories that can just make anyone uh, have the best years and, 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 and regrow their career and stuff. And it's because they understand the flow of hockey. They understand everybody on the ice and they make them better rather than just skating the puck down the ice and scoring themselves. So, I mean, that's my point of view. It is an immense pleasure to watch him play this year. Yeah. It's just it like is. he gets better every year, and it's it's like it shouldn't even be happening yeah. I mean, like that. It's the it, most it fun does. I've had watching hockey in since Lidstrom or Fedorov played hockey. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's akin to watching Datsuk in his prime. It's akin to watching Crosby in his prime. It really is. He might not put up as much numbers as, as Crosby. Um, but I think he's getting pretty close to doing, doing some Crosby numbers. Um, he's going to get a ton of heart votes this year. If he keeps playing like that, yeah. uh, Anthony Duclair scoring great to see his shooting percentage regress. I mean, he's shooting like 40% right now, but that's good to see top lines. Insane. When Sam Bennett's been healthy, he's been again, not a fluke. top him hat, baby, not a fluke, Love him. not a fluke. And again, He's he's I've never been so happy to be wrong about someone not being a center. We were very wrong about that, and I that's mean, fine. And, we're not going to be right all the time. I was, and again, I had no problem with getting him and everything. I was just like, I just don't see him as a two C. I see him more as like a winger in the middle six. But okay, I just didn't see him having that uh, ability to control the puck through the middle of the ice and the middle zone as, as well as he does where he's become, if Barkov is having trouble on power play breakouts or break-ins, they give it to Bennett. And I, and I never thought that, you know, I thought they'd, you know, Bennett might be the fourth or fifth option, you know? So 
at best. So it, it's I'm nice to be proved. It's nice to be proven wrong about that. He's been great. I mean, you, you could want more from other guys, but I don't really complain about that. And I mean, and, uh, yeah, I want more, but I want more in the spring and. And, yeah, like right know, now, it kind of doesn't. It, it kind of doesn't. Yeah. It kind of doesn't feel like it matters. Like they'll go through their ups and downs through the rest right. of the season, but they built their cushion up to the point where they I mean, have to. Does anyone feel like they're playing bad? I mean, no. I can't remember what Ryan. Like Lombard I don't think that like, they have but... played badly in any game. Like, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about also before all of the the Blackhawk stuff hit was like I remember Jonathan Huberto saying when he was talking about the Flyers game, I think. And he was saying, oh, we played better tonight than we played against Colorado and Tampa. And it looked like against Colorado and Tampa, they were just on it, right? They played great in those two games. And, I, and I'm thinking they played better tonight than they played in those two games where they just really dominated, like, the two best teams in the league, whatever their injuries were. Oh, boy. We, we have some talking we need to do if that's what's happening. Um, so he's, like, he's been great. Liddell, when he's played, has been such a joy to watch. How did he fall to twelve? It's stupid. He should we had him ranked fifth or sixth. I can't remember. Well, but again, sixth. I mean, I, I like just like I, I thought to myself, if Anton Lindell plays like colder kind of hockey, then this is a cheat code, and it's been a cheat code. Like he's been dinged up recently, and that sucks. But I have enjoyed so much. Yeah. Watching and they're play. obviously being extra careful with him. Yeah, like why would you rush it right uh, now? There's no need to yeah. do anything. You don't. No, not, need to not when you have. I mean, there was a minute there where I was like, "Wow, I think Verhage might have to take some shifts as a center." But, um, you know, they the reason they have so many centers uh, is they don't know when they're getting a charge back and all this stuff. But also, you know, anything can happen, and you might be out two or three at a time. So, uh, it's again. These are things that we like by now we're usually talking about how the first rash of injuries have hit. The Panthers have maybe not started out slow, but not but maybe dropped some easy points. And we're talking about, hey, this is why they should have given some young guys some looks because they need to pull up some guys because there's injuries or, you know, we'd be talking about how they should have addressed some stuff during the offseason um, because you can't bank on always being healthy. Uh, and, you know, I, instead we're not mentioning that Joe Thornton doesn't have to always play when he's healthy or every night, And he, unlike Keith Yandel or some other veterans who um, have been given the, the benefit of the doubt uh, all the time. Load management. Uh, it's yeah. crazy. And, uh, and, and, it's, and other, it's... other play. you mentioned Los Terranen. Drops in out of the sky and plays really and plays quite well. Has to play second line center, and you're like, eh, it's not ideal, but I don't hate it. Like just a good, solid hockey player. You know, the the depth is like they've got 15, 16 forwards that you trust on a nightly basis that you don't worry about. It shows when you play their them. It, it shows they're practicing well when you can have three or four different lineups and get pretty much the same result because uh, it shows that guys are playing off of each other well in, in practice and stuff. And, you know, I, when, when you practice, you're not like, it's not just all line drills. So, so every time Barkov and Hubert go out there, they're not always just playing with, you know, with their lines. Sometimes they're playing, you know, Barkov and Hubert are going out a drill and stuff. And sometimes him and Barkov and Walsh training are, are doing stuff together. And, that kind of 
changes, uh, you know, over the, naturally over the course of practice and, and drills and things like that. Uh, sometimes, yes, you do go with your lines and everything, but, um, so when, when I see teams that can just plug and play their forwards, I mean, it's a lot easier to do that than, than defenders, but when you can see the plug and play at the different positions and up and down the lineup, um, through injuries in the middle of the game when things aren't working or when you need to kind of manufacture a spark and it, you know, you get good performances out of generally the whole group. I mean, again, I, I don't, I hate being a cheerleader. I can find anything to complain about, but I can't really find a complaint about the forwards right now. Um, forwards have been, again, and I, this I is would a like team to see, on Saturday I, that didn't have four centers. It didn't have four centers yeah, on Saturday. I, mean, I guess I would like to see a little more of underneath. The power, the, the power play hasn't been good enough yet, but as, as like they have been so dominant five on five that it hasn't mattered in the slightest that the power play has been bleh. But like that can be worked on as time goes on. It's perhaps another voice now that Brunette has full control of the bench and is not the assistant running it. I mean, that's, that's something. We have to talk about the defenders. So let's talk about the defense. I, I have to be, first of all, Gus Forsling's um, Halloween costume. I usually don't comment on these things, but grade A creativity on that. For my new, one of our new favorite play, well, always was, but Gus Forsling, great credit to him, by the way, for that. I have to say this, the entire defense core, the way that they've been playing, no matter who that sixth defenseman is, has been just, has been rock solid. Just Ekblad and Uyghur are doing what Ekblad and Uyghur do, and that's just a privilege to watch. And there was a, a, a funny comment from somebody who, said about a, a scout that once worked for the Florida Panthers, hey, we should draft Adam Fox, knowing he would only play for the Rangers. And then I'm going and thinking, well, the Florida Panthers front office, you didn't particularly like all that much, drafted Mackenzie Weger in the seventh round. And Mackenzie Weger's playing like a top-tier defenseman in the NHL. So, yeah, w- whatever. Um, I want to say four If I hear that, I, I hear that Adam Fox story one more time. Yeah, I know. We I'm all know how it ended and how he went to multiple teams that weren't the Rangers and said – I want to play for the Rangers, so, I mean, so, I cool mean, story, bro. And, and Radko Gudis, good together. That pairing works. It's fun to watch that, you know. I, I mean, just there's, looks, it just there's, looks something, solid. there's something that the D, they, they need to change a little bit about, and that is to play with a little bit more pace control. Uyghur, Gudis, and and sometimes the other defensemen, but main like Montour, but mainly Uyghur and Gudis get into this habit a little bit of trying to jump start and and run and gun on the transition and, and do the quick counterattacks and stuff. Um, and they have a pattern. They don't. They're not the best at tells. They don't work in, especially Gudis. Gudis is a very straightforward player, especially with his blade he doesn't deceive he doesn't hide his passes he doesn't have to use a lot of deception in the way he carries pucks and everything it's pretty straightforward what he's going to do with it he just you know is he's just doing it and he's just going to kind of <laughs> use his strength and power and everything and just chip the puck out and then do all that stuff and so when he makes those quick long passes through the middle and stuff like that he gets he gets jumped on pretty early and, and Uyghur has a blind spot and, and you know, he, 
he doesn't always recognize the got the F3 high, especially if he's further away from the hash marks and, and above the tops of the circles. And that guy, you know, has been I've been seeing this year and it started in the last playoffs against Tampa. So it must be something on film that teams are picking up. But he's been getting jumped on on a lot of breakout passes and stuff when he's just getting the puck and shoveling it and just trying to turn it up and go, passing in the spots where guys should be or, you know, he thinks guys are. Um, and that's kind of the correct only... correct about that. You are definitely that's, correct that's about that. the only thing with a D. And, and I know what they're trying to do is set the standard of the pace of play they want to play at um so i'm fine for it but at certain point they need to kind of fine tune that because you don't want Weegar to get too into that habit um because again you know that yandel was allowed to get too into that habit and it's a habit you don't really get out of i'm not saying that he's going to become yandel or anything he's way too good of a skater in person i'm guessing um anyway so you're right. No, I, I completely agree with that. And, there are sometimes when I would like the Panthers defenseman to turn it down a notch. Like I understand that this team is designed to play this way and it's a good way to play. It's the right way to play for the personnel that they have. But there are times when I'd like them to maybe dial it back. There's an, there's another reason to do so. And, and to me, it, it, their strengths are centers and it helps get the centers a little more involved. Um, because a lot of the times you're allowing the center to, when you, when you pull back a little bit, whether you go D to D or just kind of take an extra couple strides before making that breakout pass, you're giving that center enough time to react to, okay, we, we have possession. Now I can break from my defensive assignments, get ahead of steam and get into an open lane and ice and contribute to the rush. So when you have Bennett, when you have Barkov, when you have, um, you know, Lundell as centers and stuff, it helps to not have them so far behind the play all the time if, you know, you can buy them time to get free and get up and maybe even be an outlet pass where you can give them the puck more um, heading through the neutral zone and stuff. So I, these are things I think are going to happen, the natural kind of progression of a season. Um, and again, I believe in this coaching staff enough that I don't want another person brought in. I want them to be able to figure this out. And, I, I can't believe and I haven't said this themselves. previously, but this is why I am very much team leave it with Andrew Brunette, because not only do I think all the coaches on the sidelines have the issue of being defensive coaches that will ruin the way this team plays. And this team is designed to play a certain way and should play that way, go in with it. But also They've already gone through enough sort of chaos already this season. More change is not going to be good for them. And I think Andrew Burnett has the respect of the players in the room. You can tell that. And I think that you can see that there's already an understanding of the way they want to play, a familiarity with the coaching staff. And plus, I think it's time that we get some new blood into his head coaches in this league. And Andrew Burnett, I mean, it's not the way you'd like it to happen, obviously, but if his voice can improve as a coach over the next 74 games which he's got until the playoffs, or 73, I should say. Um, as long as that happens, then we're good. And he can grow as a head coach, and he may have some issues. There might be times where he has trouble, but right now he's got plenty of time to learn and to improve as a coach, and I think that I would want to see this team learn with him, and that's a way you can make an organic process work better. 
And I want to say a couple of other things. We have other places we need to get to. Um, back end of the defense core, um, Connaughton's been solid. Yeah. Montour's yeah. been, like, they, 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 I don't think they've gotten, like, the worst instincts of his game completely out, but he does not look anything like the Brandon Montour from, uh, from Buffalo. Well, the like, wor- the just... worst thing you can do with Montour is ask him to keep his feet stationary because when he does he gets turned he gets he pivots the wrong way he you know he has to overthink if you keep him in perpetual motion you get a heck of an athlete and that just works out enough with his in you know with you know his skill and instincts and stuff so they they figure that out so they'll figure out more i hope but i'm i'm with you that i I'm team leave it. They don't need a new system. I mean, how long have we been asking for the Panthers to have an identity and for the players to know the coach's system? I mean, the Hordacek, I mean, Deneen, DeBoer, uh, all these different coaches have come and, yeah, have come Boomer, and gone. Rowe. And no, even with the success of Gallant, there has not been this amount of buy-in to a system in at least yeah i was gonna say at least since 2000 since 96 Um, maybe i guess when they played the trap and we and and i say connaughton's been good nudivar looked good when he like so whenever they get uu levy in the lineup He's going to probably play like this just the way that they're getting i hope i hope what they do though is as soon as they say he's fit and ready to play, they play him. Um, because especially if it's over a guy like Connaughton or something, a guy who, if he's getting an NHL paycheck and is being told, you know, he's going to keep staying the rotation and stuff, that's a huge win for him. So he's not going to feel like it's a demotion. Um, but you look at the D that they plucked, put in right away and gave a ton of minutes to, we're talking about Forsling and Montour. They're the guys that have exceeded expectations. Then you look at Juleson or um, some of the other D that they got. I would say like a, a Kierstad or even a Nudavara. It's taken him a while to kind of get going um, because when he was healthy, they kind of got in the point where, okay, we like our six. Let's not – We they, they didn't get a lot of time. Um, and it eventually worked out, but Leo Levy is the type of person – type of player where Nudovar didn't have like a, he might be able to like run a second pair from the left side. He might be able to do, you know, he, he, there were reasons why he was a top five pick. And there was reasons why, even if you didn't think he was a top five pick, he was still like a top 15 pick uh, consensus. And, and, you know, those types of defensemen have something to offer and the reward potential is huge at, you know, even though, he hasn't panned out yet. He's still young enough where you should be able to get something for him. I want to see him thrown into this um, Again, because I think he'd be it so out. insulated. F- it's, it's, it out because he's when insulated. You, when you, not only is he insulated, but figure it out because the more options you have when it comes to the playoffs, the better. You're going to need right. them. You're going to yep. need them. And, and I can't believe it's taken an hour and 26-ish minutes before we talk about the goaltending. And we're now going to talk about the goaltending. I don't, I don't want to say eat crow yet, but there are some people who are really wearing clown makeup right now. The, I, I want to say that we, <laughs> all we asked for was 
a consistency in the way they use their goaltenders. And right now, we have talked about the goalie department of excellence. We made fun of the name. We, we, we said what we said about that with Rob Tallis and Roberto and Leo Luongo and Francois Lair, whatever the case may be. But with a full offseason and a full offseason to plan, Sergei Bobrovsky is playing like a Vesna winner right now. And the only question that people on the outside had was goaltending. And when you look back at Bobrovsky's performances, he has not played one bad period yet, let alone one bad game. Like, the Pittsburgh game was what it was. But he's been, like, six games, and he's been on it. Like, he's played his way back into the Russian Olympic conversation, kind of on it. And then the way that they've used Spencer Knight, when they've said every third game, you know you're going to play every third game. There's a rhythm. There's an understanding. You know exactly what you're going to get when he comes in. The team knows exactly when they're playing. It's not like last year where they just kind of went with the hot hand and then the hot hand went away, so then they changed it. Like, there's a rhythm to their decision-making with the goaltending this year. There's a rhythm to what they're trying to do, and it's allowed the team to play very comfortably in front of either goalie. And it's been hugely impressive to watch what they've done. Bobrovsky's been great. Knight didn't look great against Arizona, but against Boston, he was spectacular. Like, if this is the goaltending they're getting, yeah, if, 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 it's if, over, folks. If Bob was in, if Bob was in net for a couple, for like the first couple of shots in Arizona, that would have been, that would have been tough. I don't think he would have got the benefit of the doubt that a Knight or a Dreger or, you know, whoever else gets. Obviously, contract, yada, yada, there's reasons. But I'm, I'm just happy. I mean, I knew that Bobrovsky could come back to this and at least give you a little bit of this, even if you overpaid for him during Barkov's prime and given the goalie market at the time and everything. Yeah, I probably... I would have been Varlamov would have been a decent option for me and stuff. But I mean, looking at Lander's contract and stuff and how much is left on Bobrovsky's and how it's working out. Like I'm happy with Bobrovsky over Laner and some stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I can live with it right now. Um, and my that's biggest, a good place to be is again, the plan that they put in place that they're sticking yeah. to. And yeah. And it's... he, I mean, the end of this is him fucking off to Russia, his contract coming off the books anyway. So this is going to, it's going to be good. It's going to be fine. But again, right now, <laughs> if you're trying to win and they're trying to win right now, th- this is exactly the way that they should be doing this. And yeah. it's a plan that is, is just, it feels, it feels right. And the team trusts both of them. They, they, and this is why I kept saying, get rid of Bobrovsky. You can't do it. So you have to make it work. And, they're, they're, they're making it work, and that's incredible credit to, uh, to people we made fun of, but it's, it's working. Whatever, like yeah. Whether How it many... was his pad length, whether it was – I, I want to get a goalie person on this show to talk about what they've seen in Bobrovsky and what the technical changes might have been because, again, the Panthers were going to be good no matter what kind of goaltending they got. They were great last year with below-average goaltending, slightly below-average goaltending. If that's the goaltending they get the rest of the way, they're going to still lose games. They can win the President's Trophy because the team in front of them is that good, and now you add in the goaltending. And I, I'm, I'm on money puck right now. Team save percentage is still sixth in the league. It's not even top five. It's just been – like, that's amazing to me that they're getting this good a goaltending. And by the way, the Flyers are seventh, which is quite interesting to me. We will talk about them in a second. But, like, when you look at this team holistically, they played a really tough schedule – in the month of October, it was brutal, and they went 8-0-1. And, 
as opposed to Carolina, who played a not very brutal schedule and went 8-0. It's very interesting to me that they're going to play on Saturday, and I can't wait to watch that game because that'll be a good test for the Panthers. They never play well against Carolina. But right now, Tampa's and Boston and Toronto are going through some things that they have to work out. Tampa had the Kucherov injury. They're all going to be fine, but the Panthers already have a six-point cushion, basically. And they've already beaten Tampa. They've already played two of their three games against the Bruins. They don't play again until April. Like, the Panthers can really, if they keep this going, and the month of um, November is going to be tough, but if they get through this upcoming stretch of six games that's pretty brutal, they now have a stretch of, like, eight or nine of ten at home. Like, we're talking we could be doing load management in December if they keep playing like this. And I'm not saying they're going to, but this allows them to, to build themselves some runway just to give themselves, say, we're going to have a little bit of a stretch where we're not playing well or we can rest some guys. And, that, and that's a stretch that could be hugely positive for them. And, like, there is so very little to complain about from the hockey perspective for the Panthers. And, and while the rest of the ho- world of hockey is, you know, it sucks. But, I, I, like, this team is super, super good. And it is such a pleasure to watch them be this good. It really is. And it, they, they are fun to watch. And I, I go and watch them every night, like, excited about what I'm going to say, enjoying what I'm going to say, and... Like they, they, they've got good teams coming up, and they're just going to continue, I think, to, to get better. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see this continue because like, it, it feels like a team that was constructed properly with a plan and a vision and a process, as Bill has talked about, and it works. And even with a, the horrible circumstances of a coaching change, as they had to have, they're, they're good. They're good at this moment. And Here's my other point about the coaching change, and then we'll talk about some other league things briefly. Um, I can't see many teams making changes right now. Like, Arizona's not going to do it even if they're bad. Montreal's not going to do it. Chicago has too much else going on, obviously. Like, if the Panthers felt that they needed to hire somebody, they'd have their pick, basically, of who they want. But I tend to think, based on how Bill Zito's talked about it, I'm not sure they're going to need to. And I'm not sure that they're going to even want to. And again, that's a credit to the people you put in place that you could have something like this happen to them. And yet, here they are still playing the hockey that they're playing. Um, Let's go to some other teams Uh, briefly. I want to talk about the aforementioned Philadelphia Flyers, who have a decent record. You're still not sold on them yet, my friend. No. No, I'm not. I mean, I still... I still should don't know. I, should what, I give my I, opinion on them I mean, first like, because I'm I, more neutral here? Well, no. I mean, like, there's. I always believe that they had the they had some forwards and stuff, and they had the ability to to make the playoffs and put together a decent regular season campaign. I don't. I'm still unsure of. You know, is this team able to? Is does this team have enough support parts to live off of that, or is this a bad direction to be going down? I think AV's done enough to make it through, but I, you know, you can't tell if that's just because Ajou came out here playing like he has something to prove. Uh, Couturier's had a good start to the year. Hart's had a good start to the year, um, and and that'll be enough. I mean, Atkinson's shooting the lights out. That 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 can carry them through their their issues at center and and on defense but i mean Alice has we knew Alice was going to be good it's can he be healthy the question so far is no um 
Wistelainen has been, in my opinion, dog shit. Um, and that's trying to look, trying to find something about his performances to like. We'll see what happens when he plays Pittsburgh. Maybe that's a team I can get him. They'll get him up, and we can see some value there. But I, I, I mean, I've been seeing good Branson play better hockey games than Ristolainen this year. I'll just say that. Um, and that was a, that'd be a hell of an easier and cheaper acquisition. Um, you know, there's just like a lot of the things about like they're they're all energy and uh, puck luck. That's kind of how I feel it. If they if they get off on a good roll to start the game and they feel some good energy and stuff and they get they can get the shots on goal and when they get the puck luck they they do all right. But I mean, I was listening to the AV last night after they they struggled against Arizona, and he's saying you know they're a hardworking team and yeah I give them credit and all this stuff but. I mean, yeah, they got a good goalie. I think an underrated goalie, uh, Kirill Vajameko or whatever from the Czech League. Amalka. Yeah, Kyle yeah, was no chance he's for been, me on he's, that he's, one. Like, he's been, um, he's been actually kind of good. Like, the rest of that Coyotes team is awful. Like, they might be the worst team I've ever seen in the Cap era. Deliberately. They don't. This is. But they, I mean, like, they're hardworking in that. Yeah, they have a lot of guys who are working for their job. Um, but they're not hardworking in the sense of hard, hardworking as a team, hard to play against, um, and that oh, kind of stuff. The, 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 it is the worst I, team in the cap era. That, that I, I'll say it. I, I found issues with the the Flyers unable to skate past them, unable to pass around them, unable to kind of. They basically just had to wait for like. Arizona be like, oh yeah, we're playing for the draft lottery, <laughs> to 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 kind of, you know, or the eventual puck look of hey, we've got this amount, you know, forty shots. Eventually, one of them's going to go in, um, before you know the time ran out. But it was close, too close to OT for my liking, um, and I didn't think Arizona really deserved it, and where at least some of those games, you know, Ottawa, Arizona, they they do play the spoiler pretty effectively. Um, I didn't think they did that night. And, and you know, me and O'Brien, we, on our podcast, we talked about, you know, we were just at ends with, you know, the identity of the team and what their intent and what their purpose and what their, you know, roadmap kind of was. And I think, you know, some of those areas have panned out, uh, Atkinson and stuff, and, and some haven't. Uh, but I still don't really know it's way too early in the year to know, like, are they capable of winning a series? Because if they're not capable to win the series, they've gone down the wrong road. They, Claude Giroux should leave the franchise and they should be looking at the 2023 draft as uh, a chance to quickly remake the team with Couturier still involved uh, because you could get a, a huge game breaker and, and, you know, 2022 draft is nothing to sn- sneeze at. You can get a very good player in the, the the late, you know, part of that first half if you miss the playoffs this year, which, you know, in the division, Philadelphia may. They still may miss that division, the playoffs. Uh, that division is uh, it's actually kind of good. It's, like, it's a gumbo. It's a cosmic gumbo. Like, there's a lot going say. on in that division. Um, I think the Flyers' goaltending has been better. 
than you would have thought it would be. Like, it's been, like, Carter Hart seems to be better. Like, I mean. Yeah. Well, the, the, issue, the issue with the goaltending is the mentality. So what happens when adversity, what happens when Carter Hart starts getting a little sunburn from the red light behind him when, you know, when he starts giving up some goals? Can he pull pull the team back? Or does he do what he did last time, which, you know, is unable to, to get any ground and, and keep stumbling? Um, because that's what, you know, this is the thing with the Flyers. They're known for 10 games on, 10 games off. You know, can, can Hart be that consistent backbone to keep them away from that? Um, and can Giroux and Couturier keep the energy and, and the pace throughout the season can atkinson you know keep shooting the lights out i think he can um but i'm biased with with atkinson i think um you know can else say there's a lot of questions that are just going to be answered more in the spring or at least you know christmas time you know that 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 roster freeze about then when i think fletcher is going to really have to look at the team and be like what what path do we need to go down? Um, because it's going to be whether Fletcher keeps his job or not is how he maps around Giroux's time frame and the Flyers' time frame, and knowing and being aware of whether they line up or not, and, and having that foresight to make the hard call if it doesn't, um, or to take the gambles right now if you think it does. Because to me, the worst issue, the worst case of the year is either just missing the playoffs or making the playoffs to lose in the first round those two things would be a failure of the year i'd rather have you be waiting for ping pong balls uh in the spring than um waiting to see if you can eke out you know sort of a a lucky first round win against you know a a higher seed um because you know what's Hayes going to be like when he comes back um, from injury is he going to be mentally and physically ready to hit the ground running contribute is going to take him a while you know how's how's that going to be I was having issues going into the year before all of the injury and all that stuff and all the you know his brother's death and everything came into play of whether he could be a 2c level player that they needed um because, I mean, I think there's a lot of teams in the East that have better two seasons than the Flyers. Uh, and that yeah, division's I believe that. That division's tough. I mean, that, that division are teams that can do – there's a lot of different types of teams. You know, you have the Penguins who – you know, there's a lot of different identities and everything. So if you don't have your strength identified, if you don't know how to find the and live off of the other team's weaknesses or, or flaws or – you know, exposed points, it's going to be hard to pick up points in division when they're four point swings. You know, I, I, that's the challenge of that division. It's, you know, can, can AV milk all the points out of that division as possible with the, you know, all that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to take a while. I think that they're doing what they need to do in the early days. Um, but it's not like they're the Panthers that they're blowing the doors off. You know, they're not like uh, the Blues or, um, you know, I wouldn't even say they're like Detroit or some of these teams that I think are 
really overachieving what their expectations As were. As we record this show, their next two games are on the road at Pittsburgh, who does not have Crosby because he tested positive for COVID, and Washington. Like, those well, are hugely important games to the Flyers to determine, you know, kind of what they are, you know, just to see what, yeah. what are we, who are we, because, like, okay – they they look good on a Canadian road trip. Their losses were to Calgary, who's been playing really well. But but and, yeah, and but I mean the thing is really like well. Calgary was a good measuring stick because I think to me Calgary is like a team that can win a playoff series but is not quite a contender. So where do you stack up against them? I you know and and I didn't think that obviously Calgary's playing really well, but so were the Flyers at that point. And you know it was it I thought that they played okay like i wasn't terribly disappointed in the process or the effort level or anything but i also think you know it showed that they do have a way to go to get on that level um and to you know it's i i want to be very careful with the flyers because I don't want to rush into any fool's gold statements because they're a team that constantly has gone on runs, has shown glimpses and everything, just enough to get some t- playoff ticket revenue, and you know, uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't yet. I don't see that cohesion with the team as you know. It yeah, there are points there and everything, but you know that second pair isn't working out really great. I'm not like Sanheim isn't super impressive right now, and I really wanted him to be, but he's not. You know. I don't know. I I'm not I'm not I'm just very Switzerland about Philadelphia right now. I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see what they're going what more they can show me. What what's really going to shake out for sure because to me they are at that inflection point. What they do with Claude Giroux and his next contract is everything. How you know what they do around these drafts I think to me is everything. Uh, I put a ton into the draft stock. I think if you look around at all the teams that do well, they're teams that make their own players. St. Louis, constantly good. What do they always do? Draft well. Where do they draft? Not in great places. But they still are able to trade draft picks, still are able to draft and develop guys, sign undrafted college free agents, turn them into the NHL. They do a lot of different great draft and developing, and that's why they're good. And you can look at a lot of teams that do that, uh, and they're the ones that are are doing well this year. Florida did it for only a brief amount of time, and look at the turnover and the change they've been able to do. Um, yeah, it's it's paired with a lot of things, but um, it's also paired with that better development allowed them to take advantage of other opportunities out there. This is and, a very important month for the Flyers. I just want to yeah. give you their, their schedule. I mean, I tell Pittsburgh, they got Toronto, then at Carolina, Dallas, Calgary at home, Tampa, Boston, Tampa, Florida, back-to-back, Carolina, Devils, Islanders. And so you're going to learn a lot about them this month. Yeah, and, and I think that they can – I mean, if – I think that they can be a scrappy St. Louis Blues-type team that can go on a run and maybe win a cup or, you know, you pick any Cinderella – type team that you know is has a couple strong link players but is more just scrappy positive 
and uh, keeps overcoming adversity. That's a, that's a team Philadelphia fans would be happy to have. I you know I can get behind and everything, but I have to see a little more. And you know, obviously, St. Louis didn't show it till till later in the season. Uh, so can, can they I make have that this one other form. point? Because I know the game-winning goal for the Panthers, shorthanded, was Keith Yandel. Yeah, um, I I I tweeted that night. I was watching the game. I'm like, I wonder what my Y hockey co-host thinks of this. And and and, and I, I had somebody who doesn't often text me about the Panthers was like, Oh, Keith Yandel helped the Panthers win for once, and I texted him, sleeper agent. So yeah. There yeah, you are. I mean, um, Yandel, Yandel's already off the first power play for a bit. Uh, wow, who so. could have ever imagined such a thing happening? Uh, yeah. A couple, couple other stories around the league um, I think I want to talk about. Uh, are there any that interest you? Well, um, let's just talk about um, Lucas the, Raymond. Oh, um, God, the Red Wings are fun. Uh, Raymond and Cider are special. Yeah, Cider is players. definitely... Sider's a guy a lot of people missed on when there was that momentum right before the draft. Like every like Sandheim was the was that one year's defenseman. There's a guy that always goes from like mid thirties or mid forties up to like eight to twelve range. Like all of a sudden the hype's all over him. Everybody needs him because his you know he's just taking off. It's the right point and all this stuff. And you know I. I was a little worried. I think we had side. We didn't have cider until like the early twenties, just because you know. Yes, he played in professional league, but it was German, and how you know that was. We weren't really sure and all that stuff, but man, he, the Detroit and a lot of scouts, obviously, they are the inside and they're the ones paid professionals. Um, but oh yeah, I, I remember a lot of people didn't even think he was worthy of like a first or a second round pick and and he's really shown Lucas and a, lot, a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, people had him like five or six or some, some people had him after Alexander Holtz, the devil's pick who was his uh, teammate and country mate uh, in the same draft and stuff. And I, you know, I had Raymond as third and i think it was only because i was too chicken shit to not have lafreniere out of the top three but i i mean i think if i go back to it i probably would have had if i would redo it i probably have byfield at one and, and raymond at two um just based on what i knew at that moment um you know he's a fantastic player and i'm happy a lot of people are seeing him another swede uh, Jonathan Darlene uh, for San Jose is turning into a little bit of a goal machine, helping my fantasy team. I'm enjoying that. Um, yeah, I've. It's been nice. Jordan Cairo is, is is having a great year. Uh, Magic Pan is shooting the lights off. There's a lot of guys. Um, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that uh, O'Brien and I. We're, we're just, you know, always watch a lot of video and tape of and just be like, these guys are going to be NHL. These guys are going to put up points in the NHL. So it's fun to see um, see there, that happen. There are, some, there are some stories around the league. Like, if the Panther, like, the Vitaly Kravtsov thing with the Rangers is really, really amusing. Like He just got loaned the fact, to the KHL I did. I know. I saw that. If, it's, if it wasn't for the fact that the Panthers already had 16 forwards, I would have right. just – 
I would have been so interested in them going all in on it and figuring it out. What, what, but, what's great is, you know, now that he's in the KHL and stuff, you just maybe he's an option for the playoff run because the season will be over by then. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Or maybe he's an option next year and stuff. Because like Paul Jarvi, like some other guys, maybe he goes over to Europe, brings up his stock, and he, and he can get what New York wants from him. Um, I wouldn't be against it. I liked him. Uh, another guy we just talked about Pools Yarvi. Man, a lot of player, a lot of people are talking about Pools Yarvi like he should have been picked before Dubois, huh? Hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, maybe it's it's kind of like how development isn't linear, and sometimes right. you have to do the hard decisions with developing players. And yeah. you know, obviously, the Oilers screwed it up, but have gotten it back with Pools Yarvi. And, and it can still always come back the other way, you know, because uh, Dubois. Also has has played some good hockey at the NHL level, but I mean, Pujarvi is showing why I personally ranked him number one in his draft year. And I'll get left out of the room for that. Um, but... I think people know you know by now that we we take everybody from Finland and Sweden that was, and give them a bump. Well, no, I mean, I think uh, that was more of an activist pick just because uh... I was tired. Of, uh, but uh, just because I didn't think Pujarvi was getting his due. But, I mean, if he was a Canadian, you know, he would have been – I mean, Lawson Kraus basically does what Pool Jarvi – you know, like in junior, they're like, oh, this is a guy that can get – he's got the reach. He's going to win pucks back. He's dogged on the puck. He's a great character guy. He's fun to be around. Everyone wants to be on the ice with him. He's got a hell of a shot. He can make plays. You know, he's competitive around the crease, all that stuff. That's what Yessi Pugliarvi does, and he does it at a first-line level. He does it, and he shows up in big moments on the international stage. Um, and, you know, to me, him and Hyman with McDavid is the ideal line uh, because then McDavid doesn't have to do anything he's ill-equipped for, like make other players better defensively and all that stuff. You know, he can just do his thing. And that's what he needs. Just like Barkov had to stop playing defense for the defenders and just be a good two-way center because um, he was getting lit up trying to play defense, you know, for the defenders and try to score goals. You know, McDavid just needs that. In the same way Dreisaitl needs, you know, Nugent Hopkins and and some of that structure so he can just go out and, and cheat for offense and do all of that. Um you know, we'll see. I, I've, you know, I just go around and I just kind of adopted what I've done in, in other sports, um, which is just watch for players and stuff that I've just like watched playing. Um, and definitely just, you know, following them when they get on a hot streak, just make sure to go out of my way to watch them and, and see, see them at their best. Or, or you could be Martin Brundle, uh, interviewing anybody at the u.s grand prix in austin i would be modern brundle if you made me if you made me interview anybody that you interview because i'm terrible at interviews it's fine that's why i i do it because that's kind of what my gig is and, and you texted me that i i laughed pretty hysterically yeah like, and people yeah. people in the world are starting to figure out like i knew what i'm like i'm not gonna sign myself in as an f1 fan because i'm not but like I knew plenty more about F1 that than the average person did before everybody binge drive to survive, and congrats to Netflix for figuring that out. But you know, 
like the 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 comment about Martin Brundle that you texted me made me laugh. That was really funny. So credit credit to you for that because those Martin Brundle interviews are are very real yeah. and they're very funny. It's like watching Jeremy Roenick. Well, it's a much better version of watching Jeremy Roenick interview randos in the stands. Yeah, I, I got I, outdoor games. Yeah, I I don't mind Brundle's. At least Brundle's entertaining, and he's tra- and you know you know what you get with Brundle. So it's, maybe he's in know. on the joke. I think that's the that's the funny part. I I, I if yeah, I have to say I, something about NHL broadcasting, which I will as we wrap this nearly two hours long show up. Gotta say, uh, AJ Malesko did the uh, Panthers Red Wings game, and it is it is a treat to listen to her do color. Like, whatever you think about analysts in the league or play by play, and I try not to comment on that because. It's just, it's, as somebody who works in the business, I know it's very difficult to do this sport, and, and play-by-play is much harder than the average person thinks it is. But if somebody goes above and beyond, I will obviously want to comment on that. And I, I love A.J. Malesko. I think that this is not me saying it to, you know, to, again, to increase diversity in the game. I would never do that. I always, if I say something, it's because I mean it. And it's, I think of people as nothing more in, in this role as their analysts and whatever their background is, gender, race, who cares? If you're good at your job, you're good at your job. And AJ Malesko is one of the best analysts in, in the league right now. I love listening to her. She diagrams plays. She tries to teach you things. And you learn more about hockey when you're watching a game she calls. And so I want to give, uh, I want to say again, I hope she's calling more Panthers games. That would be great. You know, it would be a privilege to listen to her do more of that. And I think we need to put her in more prominent roles because she's just really, really good at what she does. And again, if we're, if we're going to do this right, like let's get more good people in roles that allow them to, again, allow them not just to succeed, but make us smarter and entertained at the same time. And AJ Malesko could do that. So I wanted to point that out on the show. I know it's two hours in, but I felt like that was a point I needed to make. And yeah, so I think I think that means we've covered everything. I think we've covered just about everything we could possibly cover today. Um, boy, oh boy. So again, I, I, have, the a, I have a question for you. What's I that? Have, I, have a, I have a question for you before you before we sign off. You you're a good outside observer. I mean, there's a lot of people who think that hate. The Flyers fans that hate Claude Giroux right now think Jeff Carter is better than Claude Giroux, and and all you know all this different all these different things. If you for a Flyers fan, what do you think is the best ending for Claude Giroux? Do you think it's for him to stick around, or if the team's not competitive, do you think it's for him to leave? What do you think is how this all ends? It it, it depends early, largely early. on, I think kind of what he wants i think you know for a player like no nhl player pretty much gets to dictate their own terms but if you're somebody like claude Giroux and what he's meant to the flyers i would think that you want him to dictate how he wants this to end and in my view if he thinks the flyers still have a chance to be competitive and win and he wants to stay in philadelphia then let him do that if he feels that it would be best for him to go to a place where they can truly win and he doesn't think the Flyers can win, then I think the Flyers should oblige him that. Now, I don't know if he thinks that because there are rumors that the only place he'd want to go is Ottawa because he's from Hearst. But, I mean, whatever the case may be in that, like, if you you think Eugene Mellon's going to pay you, well, congrats. Maybe maybe there's something we're saying in that, but Claude Giroux (laughs) can dictate what he wants. 
if he wants to stay and he thinks this team can win, then I think the Flyers should try to oblige him that. But if he thinks that the Flyers are not going to win in the same way, then I think that the, that, the, that the Flyers should oblige him that too. It is, in a situation like Giroux, it's one of the very few players where they should determine their future. And you normally don't want players determining if you're in that management perspective and that management mindset. But with Giroux is one of those, you, you should really help him, allow him to dictate whatever that is. And I don't think he knows because I don't think anybody around the Flyers knows what they are yet. And yeah. if and, the and Flyers I, are and good I think... enough to win then that would, like, if they are a, like, legitimate playoff contender, and they could be. I mean, the East is taking a long time to sort itself out because there's a bunch of samey teams in the Metro, and the only good team that has gotten off to a flying start right now, only two of them are, are Carolina and Florida. That's it. Everybody else hasn't figured themselves out yet, so we're a long way away from knowing that. Um, but if, if Claude Giroux doesn't think the Flyers can win, then the, then the Flyers should oblige him to trade somewhere where he can win. But if he wants to stay, then I think the Flyers should find a way to build something around him where he doesn't have to be the focal point going forward. I think that this team needs to can find a way to do that. They're the Flyers. They should be able to. That's been their mindset. But to me, I think with a player like Giroux, as I said, if he can determine a better future for himself, I think the Flyers should try to help him do that. This is how I view it. I, with a player like that, you don't want it to end toxic. Because too many it's good fair. players in the it's Flyers fair. history, those histories did not end well. Yeah. Again, and I remember what happened with Eric Lindros. I remember vividly, and I remember with what Simone that was Gagne. like at the Winter Classic with Gagne, right? I mean, in, in Pronger yeah. in some ways too. I mean, like I again, I remember. I know this is ten years ago now, which is insane to say that, but I remember what happened with the celebration when Lindros came to the outdoor game against the Rangers and how big of a deal that was because of how toxic that situation ended between the between Lindros and the Flyers. You don't want to have that, right? And like right. and how long it took for the Flyers to acknowledge the proper role that Eric Lindros played yeah. in the history of the and, franchise. And if yes, he Bobby Clark and Bill Barber and Reggie Leach may be better than Drew. I can't comment on that. But as far as what I can comment on, Claude Giroux is a top three player after those cup teams in Flyers are, are you going to retire 28 for Claude Giroux? The answer is probably yes. You're going to retire I think, 28. I mean, I would put him – I think he's at – wasn't as good of a player as Lindros was, but was as important to the – Flyers franchise as Lindros was. So, yeah, I mean, well, think I think about he's... it. Giroux made one Stanley Cup final, so yeah. did Lindros. Like, yeah. in the end, like, they both ended up pretty much making it to similar places. And for, you know, a year or two, they were both in the com conversation for best player in the world, you know, for a couple of years. For, you know, whether because of their injuries or what, it was only a couple of years. But, yeah. I mean,. <laughs> There, there are people who really want to think that Claude Giroux is, you know, the, you know, the Duhards, the Keith Primos and stuff, you know, were better flyers than, than Claude Giroux. And I just, I, I really I, struggle I with that I opinion. I, as somebody but... who lived and still lives in the market and somebody who is not a Flyers fan by any stretch of the imagination, but knows the team and knows the fan base well and is neutral, well, 
I wouldn't call it neutral, but it's far more neutral than the average Flyers fan is. That's 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 not gonna work. Like Claude Giroux is better than Keith Primo. Let's 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 not go there. I know yeah. what Flyers fans uh, like. I know what Flyers fans gravitate towards. But let let's let's not kid ourselves here. Th- let's yeah. not do that. That's that's that 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 feels disingenuous to me, and it feels like Definitely. you're trying to say something about players that you know that it does not make sense to me. Again, I'm not a Flyers fan, but I do have the experience of watching this team quite a bit and knowing what the market thinks about them. That's that's my view. I I just I can't see, I I can't see Giroux not going down. Like his number is going to get retired, and it should. Again, remember the peak where he was winning points titles, when he was truly one of the best players in the league. And it might not be that now, but like, and the Flyers might not have done what they needed to do with that peak. And I agree with that, that they haven't done what they needed to do with that peak of that player. But that's not Claude Giroux's fault, you know? Right. I think that. Yeah, just like it's not McDavid's fault that he's. On the Oilers. Yeah, and he's being asked to do way too much with. Although the Oilers are pretty dang good this season, so maybe that's uh, maybe that's it. But Uh, the regular, I mean, the regular season good in a bad division. We'll see how they are. Well, with Vegas literally Uh, having everybody injured, every single player that the Vegas Golden Knights have is hurt. Um, When you also consider what's going on, I mean, I I do want to mention, and this is the last thing before we leave because people don't usually want to listen to our podcast. I do want to say I have liked. Seeing what I've seen from the Kraken in their home games, that's looked all right. I mean, the goal song being lithium is what it is. I mean, you could have done like 15,000 other options, but okay. But I would have bet on it being lithium. Would you have bet on it? I I wasn't going to bet on it being lithium. I I thought they would have done something. If it wouldn't have been lithium, it would have been like Smells Like Teen Spirit, something even more on the nose Nirvana. Maybe not that, but I mean, like they got so many different options that they could have that they could have picked. Like, I'm not gonna complain. I like Lithium. I do. Um, it's not my favorite Nirvana song. It's not my favorite grunge song, but it works. It works for the purposes. It should have just been like a sh- a sea shanty or something. Could have been a sea shanty. Well, they got a, a a goal horn from an old ship. So I mean, the arena exactly, looks cool. Yeah. I do. I do have some. Fo- I do know some folks out there in Seattle. They've really gravitated toward that team. I've said it before. I think Seattle is a fantastic sports town. I think, you know, the team isn't great, but they're an expansion team and they've got I, issues. Yeah, I think they're smart enough that they're going, they know that, I keep saying it, they're going to be making their team in the next couple of drafts here. And uh, that's where they're that's where they're really going to do their walking and talking is what comes out of those draft classes in the next couple of years. So. And, and Dave Haxtell as a head coach, once again, is a, is a choice. It is a definitely a choice. It's I think choice it's a I choice. I think it's a choice to keep them away from success. Ah, so. oh, well, but I mean, I think the arena looks cool. I I think yeah. that the atmosphere. Unlike looks his cool. goatee, Dave Hacks. That goatee, goatee does not work. No, that goatee it, does not work. It, it honestly, I honestly feel so bad for his wife. Um, oh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they've also been dinged up with injuries. I think they've had some COVID issues as well. Like, you know, yeah. they, like yeah. a bunch of teams are having COVID. Like these things happen. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to fault Seattle for it. It's like, I'm not going to, they've Colorado lost two, they've dropped two players on waivers. One that they picked up on waivers and Barb away. Barb but, away uh, yeah. And then they also lost Chalowski who, um, you know, is, yeah, he's a body. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see what they're doing, but, 
they seem calm, cool, and collected, so I'm not in a rush to I change think, it. I think they understand that, you know, we're an expansion team. Like, there is, like there's pressure to do Vegas, but also, the, the like, the market. Like, Vegas is flash. It's big. I mean, That's I'm looking Vegas. at Vegas now. I'm looking at Vegas now. I don't want to be Vegas. Do you want to be Vegas? I mean, I think that there are things about the Golden Knights that are obviously good, but they've backed themselves into a quarter, and now that their entire team is hurt, and they're basically like almost being forced to trade for Jack Eichel because they have to, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those weird situations. But yeah, I mean, but but I mean, like they're the t- they have a terrible rep. I mean, like it's going to be hard for them to get a lot of players pretty soon because of the churn um, with their staff. Um, that that's something that's not going to be lost on players and players agents especially. Um, you know, they have hey, hey, no hey. real they prospects. Have a cool, they do have a cool show where they, um, they kind of stab, you know, virtual Kraken. Yeah, but they, you know, they, they uh, don't really have much of a prospect pool because they've gotten rid of most of it. And what they have drafted hasn't necessarily all turned out that great. Um, you know, and the core that they have, is starting to get pretty old and has not won and there's money committed to them. So I don't necessarily know if I, if like if I was Seattle and I'm looking at Vegas today, not Vegas two years ago, um, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to do what they're doing. Whatever they're doing, I don't want to do it because I don't want us to be there five years, six years out. You don't yeah. want to chase. You don't want to chase your own shadow. Is is basically that. And I do want to say on a last note, before we wrap this marathon podcast up, we have more coming. PK Subban, stop slew footing people. I, that that too. But also, I didn't. Can see he get this suspended for that? Jeez. Uh, maybe I didn't see this tweet last night, but I should have seen it. The not Thrasher's Twitter account, the best account on Twitter, or one of them. Thank you, Braves, for breaking the curse. I am never going to root for an Atlanta team to win anything ever. I, I really enjoyed making jokes about the Atlanta sports curse, but that was pretty funny, and I wish I had seen that earlier. I didn't see that last night, and that sucks. Uh, I, I, as some of you might know, I have family that have lived in Atlanta all their lives, and I, I go down there a ton. Uh, that, made me, that made me laugh, and the Georgia sports curse is broken, and it's very annoying because the comedy gold that we got out of that was just <laughs> – was just so worth it, but we don't have that anymore because now the Georgia Bulldogs are going to win this. Uh, by the way, I want to—I uh, have to say, by the way, if you don't follow college football and you want to laugh because everything this week's been really heavy and it sucked, you gotta look up what's happened with this Texas special team coach and his wife and a monkey. The story is more ridiculous than I can even begin to describe it here. You need to see it. So that's why hockey. We're going to have much more coming guests coming shortly. Uh, enjoy the Panthers again. What has happened in the past, I know we're still going to always focus on this Blackhawk situation. We should. But for the Panthers themselves, just focus on the fact that they've got a really good team going and it's enjoyable to watch them play every night. And enjoy the, and enjoy the players. If, the, if some of the team's decisions don't make you feel good, remember the team's got Sasha Barkov. And then the minute you think of that and you think of the memes that we have created because of his smiles, then remember that you have him. And that's good. Yeah, and I, and I don't ultimately think that anything Florida organization did should be ultimately damning for them or anything. I think ultimately, I think who they, their owner is. The answer to that is, of course not. Yeah, I think I think that there is a, an incredibly difficult line to walk 
with um, a lot of people who may not see our way being very aggressive and having a lot of control and money to throw at stuff. So it, there's there are some things to consider. But at the end of the day, they were working for and helped orchestrate the right outcome. So that's what I, I, matters. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the process of how it happened. But in the end, the right thing happened. I yeah. and and in the end, I just I just don't I just don't. What I'm what I'm starting to perceive, and I may be wrong. I'm just one person with one opinion, and opinions are fallible. But uh, my perception is now that Florida is be, is now getting kind of like their branding is getting tarnished. Not branding in like a business sense, but like as a team, like and maybe I'm just being a little defensive because I'm a fan or anything. But like I I this shouldn't reflect poorly on florida i don't think and i don't want it to when there are bad act like i don't if want, you it, want to florida to be equated to chicago i can give you the longest list of things i will criticize them and criticize their owner for look into what vinnie viola has done nobody here's an angel let me let me be clear and no sports owner is an angel if you want to criticize them like this decision was bad you know, people criticize like, and I. But I think I think the, the the Florida Panthers organization has come in such a long way, where they're starting to somewhat realistically live up to the no schmucks policy. Somewhat. Somewhat. And somewhat. and I think that it's just, you know. If if people as and far I, as I NHL organizations go, that's not. Listen, terrible. I'm not holding up my sports teams as being bastions of moral integrity. I can't possibly do that. I live in the real world. I know what's happening. Listen, I follow the I follow English soccer. I know what's happening with Newcastle. These things are not like you can't be immune from that. We live in that. It's a matter of what you're willing to put aside, and it is a matter of what you deem the line to be. What the Blackhawks did clearly crossed the line. What Florida did as being caught in the crossfire, I didn't like it. In the end, they got the decision right, and I wish they had gotten it right earlier. They still got it right. But as I will say, know who owns these teams, look what they do in the background, and again, as much as these teams have a lot of work to do to make the culture of hockey better, and that is 100% true, it is not entirely on them because the league and the lower levels have to do it, and you shouldn't be holding up your sports teams as bastions of moral integrity. You're only going to get let down if you do that. It's not worth it. And this is not just the Florida Panthers. It's all of them. Every team that I follow. Again, if you, if you need to know more about me, and I, I promise you, I've been trying to end this podcast, but why hockey sometimes can never end, it's interminable. Uh, I follow Maryland football. It's two episodes. And if you know my, it's, yeah, it's not quite two episodes, but maybe, maybe we won't be releasing them as two episodes, but it feels like it. Um, let me make this one point clear before I leave. I follow Maryland football. I follow Maryland athletics. What happened to them in 2018 where a former coach ran a culture of a program that was so disgusting that a player quite literally died on the field, pretty much. And they didn't fire him. And we're planning to bring him back as coach. And I did a podcast about that. If you look up Testudo Times podcast from October 2018, you can find it. I know where my line is. I've seen what happens when the line is crossed and when bad actors legitimately do bad things. As much as I'm saying, like, what the Panthers did here, and this is solely the Panthers, not the rest of the league, like, I don't like it. I'm not saying that what they did was malicious. I think in some way their hands were tied. It doesn't mean I agree with the decision. 
but you but you as fans have to know where your line is i can't determine where that line is for you and nobody can determine where that line is for you other than it's you you have to be the one that decides what you are willing to deal with i didn't watch that game against the bruins i chose not to i said i'm not watching a game until quenville's fired and i knew he was going to get fired the next day and he did but it wasn't as if i was you know consciously saying i'm endorsing what and- i see because I, I didn't watch that game, and it's fair enough. And whatever your decision is on how you contextualize your relationship with your teams and what you are willing to put up with is up to you. I can't be the judge of that. You can't be the judge of that. That is a decision you have to make. And it's not going to be a different – and it's not going to be the same for everybody. It's going to be a different standard based on different things for whatever individual it is. Yep, and as long as we uh... – don't go at each other's throats for trying to police each other's opinions and stuff and rather just go at the institutions and stuff that make us have to deal with this these shitty situations because I mean it it it's not when you get down to it it's not really something it's kind of in it's, just it's not really complicated it's, it's not really complicated stuff well yeah, no, I, I, it's when not, you're defer- it's when not you're something that it's not something that at the end of the day, it's it's not like a political debate, and and I and I think we just have to kind of understand that that um, we we can't really turn it into that either. I think that these debates. I, I'm are, not the are, best person to be speaking about this. No, I'm just I mean, some it, dude. It is, it is a well. Again, it is your relationship with your team. Is your relationship <laughs> so, with your team for whatever that many, is. Many many would say I'm the person that shouldn't be speaking as some white, you know, married, hawk guy who grew up in hockey culture in the '90s, um, and, but, and everything. I mean, you, so. You're more receptive to understanding what the the vagaries of the culture are than most other people, and you acknowledge that these culture issues exist. At the very least, as opposed to many who do not want to acknowledge that they exist. These oh yeah, they clearly they, exist. They exist, and everyone really is a part of the problem. And you know, I mean, I don't want to get on a big political rant, but there's a lot of horrible, horrible, corrupt and abuse that goes on in these big institutions. And as long as we continue to be distracted by the media narratives. And stuff that the, you know, all these internal reports and investigations and all of the judgments and stuff are handed down by the people in power who have orchestrated and are responsible for it. And, you know, they control this stuff. And until we just get rid of them, you know, we're just going to be distracted by the, the stupid narratives and going at each other's throats and arguing, Oh, you're a terrible fan because you didn't want Quenville fired or this or that. And, and all this different stuff. As long, my, my opinion on it has always been this, and I will end it. Promise you we end this now. As long as you have a reasonable, well-argued opinion for why you yeah. w- believe what you believe, as long as you're coming at it with facts and a reasonable basis, I can't tell you you're, or you're totally wrong. And that's yeah. what I that's where I will stand. And on that note, I promise you this is the actual end now because this podcast has been going on. Good night, good. Okay. Thank you.